is in the BBC Three Counties Red. Isn't it mild? I don't want to be one of those idiots that bangs on about the weather, but let me be one of those idiots that bangs on about the weather. Isn't it mild? It's, where are we now, the 4th of January, 3rd of January, something like that. I've got no idea what the day is. Uh, I, I keep coming out of my car, gloved up to the max, with scarves and hats and all kinds of stuff, and it, it's virtually sweltering. It's comparatively Barbadian out there, isn't it? Wonderful. If this is global, if this is global warming, I'll have some of this. Thank you very much indeed. Suddenly, those January mornings don't look as bleak as I was expecting them to. Lots coming up in the show today, and as always, it will be nice to get uh, your opinions on uh, some of these, uh, including protesters in Watford are fighting to stop their allotments being built on and turned into houses. Later on in the show, we'll speak to the protesters, as well as the mayor, who is responsible for this decision. It could kick off. These things often do. You never know. Should it be illegal to insult someone? We're getting all a little bit too sensitive. I'll explain that a bit later on. And have the, I do this all the time. Have you ever looked down the street and thought, oh, man, this is too many signs. It's too busy. What uh, the, the, the term is street furniture. Well, we want to find the most cluttered street in beds, hearts and bucks today. If it's yours, or it's one you walk down, or one you work in, could you take a little snap, please, a photograph? Camera, uh, the mobile phones take photos these days. I know, it's amazing. And send it to us. You can email it. No, don't email it. Put it on the Facebook page. Well, do that. There we go. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can email if you want. 3CR at BBC.co.uk and we'll put it up. We're trying to find the most cluttered street in beds, hearts and bucks. The other ways to get in touch... You can send us a text to 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. <sighs> Do go to the Facebook page. It's nice to go on there. What I've enjoyed you lot doing recently is going on there and having little arguments. Play nice, don't go all Jack Whitehall on us and insulting everybody, but, but have an argument by, by all means. It's fun. It's fun arguing with you lot, and you lot can now argue with you lot. Facebook.com forward slash uh, BBC 3CR. Now, in the news today, the entertainer. Jim Davidson has strongly denied sexual abuse allegations dating back to the 1980s. He's been released on bail after being arrested with another man in his 50s by police working on the Jimmy Savile inquiry. Uh, Catherine Boyle can tell us more on this. I can. Uh, Jim Davidson is the latest household name to be arrested in connection with this operation, Operation U-Tree, which, of course, is the investigation opened in light of the allegations relating to Jimmy Savile. Now, we know that Jim Davidson was arrested at around midday yesterday in West London, and he's been questioned as part of a strand of Operation U-Tree known as Others. So it means that the allegations made against him are not connected directly with Jimmy Savile, and there's certainly no suggestion of child abuse. Now, according to Jim Davidson's lawyer, the women who've gone to the police were in their mid-twenties at the time of the alleged offences, which happened around, are alleged to have happened around 25 years ago. Now, while he was being questioned in London, officers were at his home in Hampshire and were pictured, certainly by local newspapers and the, the local uh, camera crews, they were seen leaving with a number of items. And he wasn't the only person arrested yesterday as part of the investigation, was he? N- no, th- this is true. Police also arrested a 53-year-old man, again as part of the others section of the investigation, so not directly related to Jimmy Savile. Um, he's not 
been named, but we do know that the arrest was made in Hampshire. Uh, this man's also been bailed. And these two are the ninth and tenth to be questioned as part of this ongoing police operation, Operation U-Tree. Of these, nine have been under arrest. And, of course, as we mentioned at the beginning of this, high-profile names uh, arrested in connection with this investigation. You've got Max Clifford, comedian Freddie Starr, Dave Lee Travis, former TV producer Wilfred Diath, and a former Radio 1 producer, Ted Beston. They've all denied any wrongdoing. Um, Gary Glitter was also arrested, Paul Gadd. He's not made a statement, and uh, a man in his 80s was also questioned. And the rumours in the paper are that, that, that uh, Jim Davidson was going to be in the Big Brother house. Rumours abound about the Big Brother It house. starts tonight. Are you a fan of the Big Brother, Catherine? Do you know what? I, I sort of am. Yeah, I, I hate myself for it. It's dirty. It's, it's a dirty pleasure, but I get sucked in. I'm very excited about it. Catherine Bowles, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. Morning. Shall we have a look at the front pages of the newspapers? Why the hell not? Huh? No, no, it's not... It, it's not because I'm filling, it's because I want you to know what's on the front pages of the newspapers so you can make informed decisions when you pop to your local newser. Does anyone buy newspapers anymore? I haven't bought a newspaper ages, partly because I do this gig, and so we get to read all the newspapers. Um, but d- 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 buy newspapers, I just look at stuff online. Google. I Google it. <laughs> yeah, I Google it. <clears throat> the newspaper industry must be on its last legs. I tell you what, also, I'm, I'm surprised is to... W.H. Smith's is still going. Why? It's a weird shop, Smith, isn't it? I used to love it when I was a kid. I used to really love it. But I, I, I kind of wander in there at airports every now and then and scratch my head and wonder why it's still going because it's such a a mishmash of styles and things isn't it so i've I've got no idea if it's still going or not are we doing that now we going to that now lovely there we go okay we'll do the papers a little bit later on my my need to fill has uh, has ended now protesters are planning to uh, fight over a decision to convert the allotments behind Watford Football Club into 600 new homes the developers Kia also want to expand the general hospital but the final decision is yet to be made by the secretary of state well our reporter Jane Killick is at farm terrace allotments now Jane what's happening down there Well, I'm joined by a crowd of people who are here to protest against the allotments being taken away from them and to extend the hospital here at Watford. Just to explain to you where it is, people will know Vicarage Road where the hospital is, where the football ground is, literally right beside there. Um, So it's prime in the centre of Watford, just off the Ring Road, and they want to expand the hospital, but obviously people have been tending allotments here, growing vegetables for such a long time, and they're really angry that they're going to be taken away. Um, And they have been offered alternative allotments, but they're two miles away. So if you can imagine wheeling a barrow full of potatoes from your allotment two miles down the road to your house, uh, you can imagine how they're not very happy about it. And we'll be speaking to some of those people later on on the programme. Uh, and I think some of them have joined you down there now, haven't they? Uh, What's the kind of the atmosphere like amongst these allotment owners? Well, they're just um, not very happy, really, with what's going on. I, let me count how many people have come down to speak to us today to protest. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten people have come out just after six in the morning 
that's how strong the feeling is here. Okay, Jane, we'll speak to you later on, and uh, we will be speaking to those protesters uh, and also the mayor uh, who is responsible uh, for those uh, decisions and find out exactly why those decisions were made and what's going on. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Are you an allotment owner? I've never seen the the fascination. I guess it's partly because I've I've been blessed in recent years in in having a garden, so I don't need uh, that little bit of land. Uh, but, But do you have one? Is it important to you? Why? What, what do you get from having an allotment? It's like the old men, isn't it? Just down there in, tinkering away in their sheds. Or have I got it completely wrong? Now, apparently, the law of insult is to be ditched. Now, I didn't know either, to be honest. A survey has found that a majority of both Conservative and Lib Dem MPs supported Lord Deere's recent proposal to remove the term insulting from Section 5 of the Public Order Act 1986. At present, the Act makes it illegal to use threatening, abusive or insulting words or behaviour if they're likely to cause harassment, alarm or distress, which has led to countless... I I should be locked up then. Nearly everything I say is insulting to someone, isn't it? Well, our reporter, Nia Viss, has been out in the three counties finding out what insults you and what insulting things you say. That they're ugly, that they're fat, they just look like him. (laughs) And do you think that's acceptable? you think that's okay? Yeah, it's just banter. What have I said to you, man? <laughs> like, it's always him. Ugly, elf, dwarf, <laughs> weasel, <Yeah>. Father Christmas. <laughs> I don't know, it's all banter, I know. I don't know. As the member of the group that's often getting insulted, how does that make you feel? It hurts me dearly, like, they need to know when to stop, but it's like, I don't know, just, it's unaccepted by ears banter, yeah, so it doesn't really bother me, to be fair. Yeah, I get called a lot of names. I get really, like, misunderstood, and people just say things. I'm one of them people that takes it to heart, like, I really find it quite insulting, and I get really upset by it, like, it bothers me. So your friends right now are laughing. Does that upset you as well, that they're laughing? No, they're my friends. I don't really mind. It's, it, it's more the people that don't really know me that say it, but like if these said it, it wouldn't Do bother me. Do you think it's acceptable to insult people? If it's her, yeah. What kind of things does he say to you? It, it's not repeatable on radio, unfortunately. A little bit too, too rude. Too <laughs> rude. We did, by the way, we had to censor that. Man, you should have heard some of the language that was in that initial report. Wowzers. Well, with us now is Keith Porteous-Wood from the National Secular Society. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Keith, how do you define an insult? Well, it's something that seems to upset somebody slightly, but it's very, very easy to pass this test on this kind of, uh, in this law that we're, we're trying to get repealed. Uh, you, if you're abusive, you still, uh, that would still be covered. Uh, even after the change we're trying to make. Uh, uh, but insulting is so difficult to define, and I think that's actually the problem. You're an, I- the Keith, poli- you're an idiot. Is that insulting? Uh, well, I think, I think the police might... I, I think the police wanting to prosecute me might, might want to do that, and, and they, then I could have to be... In fact, I think you're going to have to go to, uh, to jail for having done that. Oh, blimey. Um, Not again. Yeah, this is very quite... Yes, I'm afraid so. Uh, and, but, I mean, the examples of where this has been used are uh, somebody joking to a, to, to a policeman and saying, oh, do you know your horse is gay? Sorry? Or, more, more seriously, somebody just with a, silent, with a sign just saying Scientology is a dangerous cult. Or, some, or Peter Tatchell, very bravely, at a, uh, an Islamist uh, demonstration with a sign saying, don't execute gays or women. Uh, and so he was the one who was arrested. He was arrested uh, for, for being insulting. 
Oh, absolutely. Not the people who were using hate wow. speech. That was absolutely outrageous. So, and, well, sorry, you, just go back a second, Keith. Are you saying someone was in, arrested for calling a policeman's horse gay? Yeah, absolutely. You, do, you couldn't make it up, but I, and I haven't. It's absolutely wow. amazing. The, the, so, uh, the, that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why we've had amazing... So, we had an amazing debate in the House of Lords just before Christmas where we put this case, and both the government and the Labour Party uh, told their members uh, of Parliament to vote against us, and we still won with a hundred majority. So this, this so, the law is being changed. The term insult, I- insulting, is being removed. We're trying to do that, right. and, the, and the and parliamentarians are all in our favour, even though their front benches are saying, no, 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 we must keep this. So, I mean, to win with a hundred votes with both major parties against you is almost unheard of. They just laughed their French bench spokesman out of court, as it were, out of com- out of the House of Lords. Keith, there are so, some people. There are some people listening who might say, Keith, this is all very well and good. You know, we should, you know, but hey, but, but that police horse may have been gay for all we know. We haven't got the evidence. But aren't there more important things in the world to be worried about? Well, I think that freedom of expression is the absolute cornerstone of democracy. If we can't speak freely as a society. Uh, and we risk going to to, to prison uh, for saying something that might just slightly upset somebody, then I think uh, it's a very dangerous uh, uh, slippery slope to start on. And uh, and I think we ought to, uh, we we ought really to make a stand about this. And uh, nobody should have the right uh, not to be a not to be insulted. Uh, And there's plenty of other laws, far too many, I think, uh, that'll get people into prison for things that uh, other people don't like them to say. If it's abusive, you can still be, uh, still be prosecuted even after the change that we're asking for. But just insulting is such a low threshold, mm. so difficult to define, that uh, it's an important thing that people who want to make sensible process should be able to do. I will be doing 50 years hard labour if I ever got caught. Well, Keith Porteous Wood uh, from the National Secular Society, thank you very much. Well, what do you think? When, when was the last time you were insulted? Now, how did you react? It's quite a British thing, I think, isn't it? To, to be insulted. How dare you? How dare you insult me like that? I don't really mind these days. I suspect there's going to be a few insults thrown around after the show today, but that's by the by. 08459 455 555. When was the last time you were insulted? And bearing in mind we have young ears and Ofcom and I want to pay my mortgage. What was it that was said? Hey, I was driving along yesterday. Just let them do their 60s thing. Hang on. Hey man, drugs. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, and, And my iPod was on shuffle. And a song came up I have never heard before. I'll, I'll try and get it in and play it for you tomorrow. It's the most... It's a real 60s... It's a really weird 60s song, OK? I've never heard it before. And I thought, this is amazing. And I tried to Shazam it, that thing where you play it down the phone and it tells you what it is. That... that I'd never heard of it. Um, and I tweeted it. No one else had ever heard of it. And I went to the, the iPod to look at the screen and it just had a question mark. How mysterious is that? Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. I get it now, Sophie. Get what? You had a blackboard on with a picture of a farm and you were the underground station Chalk Farm. That's exactly what I was. That's brilliant! Oh, now it's good. Thanks, Sophie. 
Right, let's get the latest news. That was her fancy dress costume. She tried to explain it to me the other day for New Year's Eve, and I, I, it's only just hit me that actually it's a stroke of genius. Uh, latest news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. And on Saturday, Stevenage travelled to Crewe, where manager Gary Smith hopes his side can end their run of three straight defeats. Losing becomes an habit the same as winning does, and, you know, we need to snap ourselves out of this as quickly as possible, and we've got a couple of tough games coming up, but when you're losing, they all look tough. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Who was that man at the end? He was uh, Gary Smith. What's what? Losing becomes an habit. He sounds like stepped up. Losing <laughs> becomes an habit. What a horrible way to speak. Yeah, that's how football people speak. Is it? They're real geezers. Oh, dear. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Losing becomes an habit. Horrible. Speak properly, for goodness sakes. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including allotments. Do you have an allotment? Do you love one? Are you on a big waiting list? Apparently, the, the, the myth that there is a big waiting list is ex- for allotments is exactly that. A myth. A member of my team here, I shall not say who. Um, when we were talking about this yesterday. Oh, yeah, it's a big waiting list for allotments. No, it's not as rubbish. Said Catherine Boyle. Oh, I gave her name away. Nuts. Sorry about that. We'll be talking about allotments, uh, insults, and street signs. Street furniture, it's, it's known as. Is your street too busy? There's a call to get rid of street signs and remove some of the street furniture. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call about that. Can we find the busiest street in terms of signs uh, in beds, hearts, and bucks? Now, the Christmas decorations in Newport Pagnell, which have been paid for and put up by a group of volunteers for over 50 years, may be cancelled next Christmas. I know, next Christmas, we're discussing it already. This is after vandals repeatedly smashed up lights and the nativity scene over the holidays. The baby Jesus was taken from the nativity scene, I can't say it, the nativity scene three times. At one point, he was being seen kicked around the town like a football. Scott Haynes is one of the organisers of the Christmas lights and joins me now. Morning, Scott. Uh, good morning. Uh, th- th- baby Jesus was being used as a football. That's right, yes. Uh, we've done everything we could to try and stop the uh, nativity being vandalised. Uh, and we've had really good support from the town for the rest of Christmas. They've been really great. But on three occasions, the baby Jesus had either got damaged or removed and kicked around in the town, which has kind of upset us. Well, it would be upsetting. Why would anyone want to use baby Jesus as a football? This is, this is what we wanted to know. I mean, 99% of the town have been great to us. We've had a great switch on day in November. We've had really, really good support from the town. Thumbs up from everybody where we've been installing the lights. Uh, but we know that there's a minority who decided that they thought it would be funny to damage the nativity, which has upset us quite a lot. Now, I understand you brought in more decorations this year because of, of public demand. Is that right? Every year we try to bring in more more decorations. Uh, we are a voluntary group, though. We're completely self-funded. We have various fundraising events through the year. So we've worked hard to, uh, a couple of years ago, or last year, in fact, we brought back the nativity and we brought back the Christmas tree. We've replaced some of the lights this year with some money that we've managed to raise. Mm. Uh, the problem we've got is... Uh, with the damage to the nativity, it's kind of eating into our funds. And so we're looking at, for next year, do we do the nativity again? Is it going to be looked after, etc.? So there's, there's talk, Scott, that, that you, you may not have a nativity scene um, up in Newport Pagnell next year because of this. 
Well, that's what we're looking at. We're, we're, we're still in the consideration phase at the moment. I mean, the majority of the town have been saying, come on, you've got to do the nativity and so on. And we will do it if we think that it's going to be looked after or if we can improve the security on it. What security is, has there been, Scott? Well, we've already moved the nativity nearer the wire, the metal railings in front of it. We've consulted with the local police. We've added some perspex on part of the front of mm. it. Everything we could think of to improve the security. Uh, we're thinking of things like CCTV cameras, that kind of stuff. Could you, na- uh, I mean, on a practical level, could you nail the baby Jesus down or, or glue him down or something? Right, a couple of things. When he was first put in there, he was cable tied into a, a wooden cot in the yeah. activity. Uh, a few days after that, he disappeared. So mm. someone had actually cut the cable ties. The next thing we tied was, and it sounds sad, but we actually tried drilling through the baby Jesus and uh, Wowzers. and actually screwing him into the cot Gosh. with screws. Yes. Um, and the next thing we know, his head disappeared. Oh. So we found that and put that back on. Hey. And then the third occasion, he'd gone completely. So someone had obviously taken a screwdriver or something or broken the screws to get him out of the car. Why would you take a screwdriver to the baby Jesus? I mean, that's incredible. It is. <laughs> is there's no, I don't suppose you could electrify the baby Jesus, could you? So well, if you, you touch it, you get a short, sharp shock. A lot of people asked us about that. We were offered sort of um, electric fences that they have on farms, but yep. we're not quite sure that would be legal if we actually electrocuted someone. Uh, how, how has this left your feeling? Well, my tongue is slightly in my cheek, Scott, but I imagine this has got you and the volunteers pretty depressed about the whole thing. It is, because we're a great team. We're like one big family. There's about ten of us who do the, do the lights. Um, we are a completely lightsaber voluntary group. We were having a really good Christmas. Um, everybody was great to us, but we just feel saddened that there is a minority out there who think it would be funny to do this. Well, Scott, listen, you've got a little while to go until next, next Christmas. I can't believe we're talking about Christmas already. <laughs> uh, but just go, go, down, go and have a nice cup of warm milk, calm yourself down, and, and think about it in a few months' time, because it'll be a shame to lose that. It would, yeah. And if anybody wants to come and join us, that would be great. And uh, what we're going to be doing, in fact, the reason we're thinking of next Christmas is because this this Saturday we actually sadly start to take down this mm. year's light. So the tree will be coming down, the nativity will be coming down. Uh, but if anybody looks for our Facebook page for Newport Pagnell Christmas lights, we're always on the lookout for new people who want to come and join us. What you want? You want some burly? You want some burly security men? You know the the, the short, stout fellows that look like potatoes outside nightclubs. You want a couple of them either side of Baby Jesus. Uh, well, actually, some people, uh, we've had a great campaign through Facebook, and some people who've sort of been working nights and things have actually been parking up in town on their way home just to keep an eye on the nativity for Good. us to see what happens. Good. So. Scott Haynes, listen, the, the, the organiser of the, the Chris, one of the organisers of the Newport Pagnell Christmas Lights, thank you very much indeed. Can you believe that? They even screwed baby Jesus in his cot, and yet someone still managed to take off his head and use it as a football. What is the world coming to? Apparently it's illegal to insult someone. Really? Come on. Someone got arrested for calling a policeman's horse gay. (laughs) Roger's on the A14. Morning, Roger. Good morning. Uh, Have you been insulted? Well, I haven't myself, but I'll go and tell you a tale about a chap I used to work with years ago. He was a fitter. Yes. And one morning one of the guys walked in and said, Mick, you said, you are ugly, aren't you? Uh, Mick had this big Alsatian next to him, quietly sat there. Uh, Mick just looked at this guy and he said to him, I'll tell you one thing, he said, if my dog looked like you, he said, he said, I'd paint his rear end pink and teach him to walk backwards. Roger on the A14 there, talking about a dog's bum hole. Thank you very much indeed. There we go. You see, being insulted is surely a great British thing, isn't it? 
We like to be affronted and insulted. Can't believe it's illegal. I've done it far too many times. I'd be locked up for 50 years. Thank you for that, Mick. Uh, Roger, sorry, best insult you've ever had, please. Keep it clean, for goodness sakes. We have young ears listening. But I like Michael Jackson. Right? But he's, he's silly, isn't he? Listen, listen to him now, he's silly, listen. It's just a bit ridiculous, I think. It's not as good as everyone says as well. Some good pop songs, but that's, that's about it. Uh, morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Have you ever looked down your street and felt, oh, this is far too cluttered? I do it all the time. I do. Do signs on your street serve no purpose whatsoever? Well, the, the Department of Transport has announced this morning that thousands of traffic signs are to be taken down all over the country. This is wonderful news. Transport Minister Norman Baker wants to encourage more local authorities to get involved. Well, we're joined now by Councillor Nigel Young from Central Bedfordshire uh, Council. Good morning, Nigel. Good morning, Ian. I understand you're in the process of decluttering Dunstable. Yes, we are. Why are you doing this? Well, because uh, for once we completely agree with uh, Norman Baker that there are far too many signs cluttering up our high streets. And I'd like to add, I think there's far too many traffic lights uh, slowing down traffic unnecessarily and extending journeys. So in Dunstable, we have completely removed signage from Court Drive, which is uh, one of our, our main through traffic areas. Not without problems, I have to say. What, what, what problems? What problems have there been? Well, I, I think the government's going to face an issue of, uh, of public education. No. Um, the, the, the key driver in creating areas that are, are known as shared space, which is, is what court drive attempts to do, mm. is to reduce speeds. And unless drivers understand what shared space means, it essentially means courtesy to all other road users. Ah, yes, there's your problem, you see. <laughs> there's the problem, the C word. I, I've got to say, it's, it, it is a minority, but, you know, that's what we notice, isn't it, when we stand and look at driver behaviour where we have simply said, look, this is shared space, it's a controlled zone, and I'll come back to that, you know, please give way to pedestrians and cyclists and treat everyone with the courtesy you would expect yourself. And have, have you, in, in this street, have you taken all of the signs away? Yes. I bet it looks wonderful. I first saw this, there's a street somewhere in Edinburgh, and I first saw a, a signless, this signless street in Edinburgh about ten years ago. I remember walking down and thinking, there's something very odd about this. Mm. There are no signs. And there's a street in London uh, near the, uh, the Science Museum where they've done it. Mm. And it looks wonderful. Yes, it's clean it, it and does. it's big and it's wide and it's fresh. Well, we've widened Court Drive g- quite considerably and we've put a bus lane in. Uh, which, of course, gets buses off the carriageway that everybody else is using. We've taken all the zebra crossings out, and we've made it what's called a controlled zone. But I ran a little test with our own people sitting in a room last week. Hands up who knows what a controlled zone is. Our two highway engineers put their hands up, and nobody else did. Is a controlled zone, does that mean you can't, you can't park there? You can't stop there? Well done, Ian. Your yeah. hand would have gone up. Thank that's, you. That's exactly what it means. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people don't understand that, and until we can... It's in the highway code, people should know it. Yes, they should, but sadly, many don't. Yeah. And of course, you know, I've actually been to Court Drive every day, morning and night, just to observe driver behaviour over the last two or three weeks as we've, we've reopened the road. It was uh, one way, and we, we put it back to two-way. And some motorists are really struggling with the concept of giving way to pedestrians yeah. and giving way to cyclists. Very Has this cost you any money, Nigel? Well, c- 
changing the road cost us money, yes, because, of course, we resurfaced it, and we've got three different coloured surfaces. Uh, we haven't put them mm -hmm. in yet. We're doing that in January, which will delineate the areas uh, to a degree to help drivers find their way around it. Um, but it wouldn't cost us any money just to take out signs right. and to replace that with shared space and reduce speeds to 20 miles an hour. But the real difficulty and the difficulty the government's going to face is driver education. Yep. And they've got to slow down. I mean, it, it, my message to drivers would be, you wouldn't drive this way in a supermarket car park because you would expect people, old, old fogies like me, to come wandering out with a trolley and children to be about. You would give way. So you have to take that driver behavior that you naturally would do in a car park, and you have to put it onto a public road. And you'll get through quicker and everyone will enjoy their experience of this wide-open space without regulation. Councillor, are you planning to do this to any more streets? Yes, eventually, Good. and it, I mean, it'll be some years away. We will do this uh, to, to the A5 when it's detrunked. That'll be around 2017. We've done it in Biggleswade. On Hitchin Road, we have a shared space scheme. And I think Luton Borough Council have just done this... With, with, with some success on George Street. Nigel Young, we have to end it there. Thank you. I think it's a cracking idea. Councillor Nigel Young there uh, from Central Bedfordshire Council. Getting rid of street furniture. I love it. I love it. There's too much business happening on streets. You don't need it. Where's the busiest street in Beds, Hearts and Bucks? <laughs> Woken up now, have you? Huh? Have you? Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. As always, be nice to get your opinion on some of the things we're talking about. Allotments, street signs and insults. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three <laughs> Counties Radio. Chalk Farm. It's genius, isn't it? Very, very clever. Although not as good as your friend who went as Holborn. I know, that was excellent. That was such a last-minute decision as well. I was furious. Mm, she beat you. <laughs> Thank you. A friend had a hole burnt into a T-shirt. Do you see? Do you see? I'm beginning to get it. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up. Do you have an allotment? How important is it to you? We'll discuss it after the news with Catherine Boyle. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Six out of ten. Oh, thanks. Very generous. No, I, it, I thought it was, actually. We were debating here whether it should be a five. But six <laughs> is, No, because six is... is in, it means you can... You know, that you've got a way to go. You, you can do better. No, hang on, that sounds like an insult. What it yeah. mean? No. Are you giving me a reason to live here? <laughs> no. What I'm saying is, six yeah. is a very, very... If I, if I were the posh one from uh, Strictly and I gave you a six, you'd be happy with that. It's not a seven, though, is it? It's not a seven. Maybe a half past could be a seven? All right, I'm going for a seven at half past. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Craig Revel Hallward gave you a seven, you'd be happy, yeah? Talk to you now, dear listener. But if Bruno gave you, gave you a seven, you'd be disappointed. A six. A six from Craig is fantastic. Six from Bruno, you'd be, you'd be gutted, you'd be out. But six from, from uh, Craig, well, wonderful. We're aiming for a seven. Can Catherine Ball deliver a seven at half past seven? That makes any sense whatsoever. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including the following. And I'll give you the contact details afterwards, because it'll be nice to hear from you this morning. Protesters in Watford are fighting to stop their allotments being turned into houses. We speak to the protesters, as well as the mayor, who is responsible for the decision. Should it be illegal to insult someone? Some MPs want insults to be removed from Section 5 of the Public Order Act 1986. 
When was the last time you were insulted? And what was it? Keep it clean, for goodness sakes. We've got young ears listening. And have you ever looked down the street and thought, there's, there's, there's too many signs? You probably haven't. It's something I think quite a lot. I hate it. You're driving down the street and there's just signs everywhere. Can we find the most cluttered streets in beds, hearts and bucks? A couple of lines free if you want to give us a phone call. 08459 455 555. You can send us a text. Apparently you can text us photographs. I know, I don't know if this crazy technology will work. I've been told it does. I'm getting a nod as well, look. Apparently it does. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can go to the Facebook page and uh, put your photos up there. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, campaigners are against the decision to move the allotments in West Watford. After 100 years of being there, the council plan to build 600 new houses on top of the plots behind Watford Football Club, plus expand the General Hospital. Uh, we're joined now by uh, Sarah Jane Trebar, who's from the Save the Farm Terrace allotment campaign. Good morning, Sarah Jane. Good morning, good morning. And also on the other line, we've got Mayor Dorothy Thornhill, who is the Liberal Democrat Mayor of the town. Morning, Mayor Dorothy. Good morning, Ian. Morning, uh, no, but Bizarrely, you're, morning. You're, you're both there together, aren't you? No, we're not. Unfortunately, we're expecting Dorothy to turn up here. She didn't turn up at all this morning. Oh, Dorothy, why, why not? Oh, because I got a phone call from you saying it wasn't happening due oh, to technical okay. reasons. There we go. That's our fault, Sarah Jane. So, so let's I'm not... Please let's don't okay. blame me for this. I'm no. sat here in I, my jeans and my boots. Mayor Dorothy, I, I, will take I will take responsibility for you not <laughs> being you. there. I wish someone um, had told can I, me. Can I just say that there yes. are about 30 of us now down here, including small children. We've got two-year-olds, four-year-olds, six-year-olds. Um, and they just want to give out a big cheer to show their support, so... There we go. So, Sarah-Jane, why are these allotments yeah. so important to you? Oh, where, where do I begin? Um, me, personally, I live in a very small terrace with a tiny backyard. It's about six foot by eight foot. I mean, I can grow some things down there because I'm a gardener. But in general, it's a lot better to have a bigger spot of land. I have three small children. Um, they've been coming down here since they were born. Um, it gives us great chance to sort of run about. It's on our way to school. It's on our way from school, so we can stop off. Um, we can collect produce. We can bring stuff down. Um, it's just, you know, the sense of community is very important because here in West Watford, it's a very urbanised community where you don't tend to see your neighbours, but, of course, down on allotments, you do. And it's, you know, it's, it's the heart of our community. It really is. And so you're unhappy that that uh, 600 houses are going to be that be built there. Why are you unhappy? Because houses have to be built. There's a problem, isn't there, with 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 people not having enough homes. Um, perhaps in other areas there are, but I can certainly tell you that in West Watford it's very built-up area. I mean, just to um, to support that, the um, actual allotments will probably only have about between 60 and sort of 66 houses. Um, the rest of the houses will be built on the land around it. So it's not absolutely detrimental that they, they have to have the allotment um, land at all. They could actually build those houses somewhere else. Dorothy? Do you, do you feel for the, the allotment owners? Um, of course I've got sympathy with them, and everything that Sarah Jane said is true. And people who have allotments, they love their allotments, um, which is why, you know, we are absolutely committed to reproviding them. But councils use allotment land all the time when there is a greater community need. And that's, in this case, the thing that is being not pushed is the fact that this is about a new hospital. This is about new jobs as well as new homes. And I'm sorry, I think but it's not... Sarah, hang on, Sarah, Sarah, let the mess speak. We were not... 
if this was just about houses, we would not be having this conversation because I would not want to be upsetting a group of people like the allotment holders. That just doesn't make sense. This is the hospital coming to us and saying that, that, that not including the allotments makes their life more difficult, more expensive. The phrase they use is that it would be a make-do-and-mend hospital. Well, for me, make-do-and-mend is not good enough for Watford. Sarah Jane? Sorry, can I can I come in there? I actually attended the committee meeting that Dorothy Thornhill didn't attend a few weeks ago. Can and we I can stop having this get, get at I'm me, I'm sorry, can please, I just finish what Sarah I'm saying? Jane, uh, you because finish. I was not Dorothy, scheduled Dorothy, I let you finish, please. Can meeting. I finish what I yes, was saying? Yes, I was not I was there at the attend. meeting and I heard them say that it was viable without using the allotments. Those were their exact words. And also... This is not, we're not talking about the hospital. We have absolutely no problem with the hospital at all. But it's not a new hospital. Let's just get that straight. It's a hospital campus. Now, as far as we know, there have been absolutely no firm plans for the new hospital campus to be developed. And if it was to be developed, we'd be talking about four or five years' time, Dorothy, not right now. And again, if it was to be developed, they wouldn't need the whole of the allotments, or they would need a roughly two-fifths of the allotments. I think you need to have that, you should be talking to the hospital because it's absolutely untrue to say that the hospital don't want the allotment land using. It's absolutely untrue. From every meeting we've had, they've been more than clear about that. But they only need two-fifths of the land, Dorothy. Is that true? To me, it's about several things. It's about people who are not yet there. What residents complain to me all the time... They only need two-fifths of the the land. Is that true? I'm sorry, Dorothy. Sarah, hang on a second. Dorothy, the hospital would only need... Let me just ask question yes. the hospital would only need two-fifths of the allotment land is that correct um i think that that is correct that's my understanding yes then, then why are they get why is all of it going uh, because ultimately i think it would be extremely difficult to do what, what hasn't come out so far is that this is actually quite a considerable site it's actually 28 hectare site of which the allotments is just under so a tenth why do you of need it. the allotment um because of the arguments that have been put forward in quite some detail at all the meetings which has included allotment holders um we've gone through this with a, with a with a fine tooth comb and of course the ultimate thing here is it before we can build on allotments, we have to go to the Secretary of State and the case will be examined at at the highest level. For me, it's actually about giving the hospital the best shot. We've got a, you know, we've got a, we want a 21st century hospital. We've actually got 19th century buildings. But if it, it, only, needs two, if it only needs two-fifths of the land, why is it all the land being because used? Because if we don't use the allotments, we will have to have higher density housing in order to make the scheme viable. And it's that, to me, is not, is not, a, not what we want. We want family Sarah? homes. We want... No. Dorothy, yeah, let Sarah say, speak. I absolutely on. disagree completely with what Dorothy is saying. Uh, as I say, I attended the meetings. They absolutely said that it was viable um, without using the allotment land. And can I just go back to the point of the allotment? This is what we're bringing it all back to. We have no problem at all with the hospital campus, but at the moment that's not the issue. The issue is that we are going to lose our land allotment. We have 50% tree cover here. That's a lot of wildlife. We've been here since 1896. We're historic. We're an integral part of Watford. We're an integral part of this community. If she's going to build more housing, then those housing you can make sure, but absolutely will need land to be able to grow things. Allotments are the future. They're not.
not the past. In the future, governments like Dorothy will be building allotments. But if we go now, there's no more space. They can't build us again. They can't create green space where they're building housing. But These that's exactly what we are doing. That if you look at the plans, the plans are very clear. There is actually going to be real public open space. I've at seen the those moment, plans, that and it's whole rubbish. Site, that whole site is just dereliction. People don't know it's there. It's hooked Well, Dorothy, Dorothy, that's expert. slightly unfair. Ladies, ladies, calm down. Calm down, let me speak. Let me speak. Dorothy, that's a little bit harsh to, to, to claim that uh, these people, all these allotments are just dereliction. These are important no, no, no. people. They've been there for hundreds... Sorry. They've been there Can for... I make this absolutely no, let me, let me just finish. It they... is a tenth of the site. Right. The rest of the site is is derelict land. Okay, back. we'll build... It's quite build a significant Dorothy. site. Then why build, Dorothy, build on the derelict land and leave the allotments? Yes, these have been there for a long, yeah, long time. These have been there for... Dorothy, these have been here for a long, long time. These are people's lives. Yes. When things are if when I things are hard for people, someone growing the their own. Thing. Dorothy, are you do, sorry? I don't, can you hear me? Yes. Of okay. Course. Good. Th- these have been there for a long, long time. These are important to people's lives. And when times are hard, people are going there to grow food to save a bit of money. It's all about community. And by building things like this, you're destroying communities, aren't you? No, Absolutely. not at all. Absolutely. Not at all. Sarah, hang on one second. Let Dorothy so speak. Is, so is a new hospital. So Sarah, one second, let Dorothy speak, Sarah, hang on. so much-needed homes. And residents say to me what they hate about development is the fact that it is piecemeal and it is not planned. This is not piecemeal and it is planned. And it will have real open space that West Watford residents can all go and but enjoy, not just Sarah-Jane, last word from Dorothy. you, Sarah-Jane, please. Yes, I would like Dorothy to have the foresight, the vision, to include the allotments as part of the health campus surely they go hand in hand instead of just getting rid of us this is community space and Dorothy isn't listening to what the, res- the residents of Watford want because if, if she was she would realise that the re- residents of West Watford want the allotments, want them to be included in the health campus and want to be able to use them and bring up their families here. Okay, listen, we have to leave it there, thank you very much indeed, that's Sarah-Jane Trebar who is uh, uh, from the Save Farm Terrace allotment campaign and Mayor Dorothy Thornhill um, who is uh, a, a part of the team that's responsible for, for planning to get rid of those. And sorry for any confusion about who should have been where. We did have some technical problems earlier on. Well, what do you think? Are you a fan of the allotments? Or do you think, oh, for goodness sakes, come on. It's, it's, a, it's a small plot of land where you grow some cabbages. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. In the next hour of the show, we're speaking to uh, Mr Charles Hodges. Who he? Oh, yeah, it's gardening expert Chaz from Chaz and Dave. That's who he is. Now, a law of insult is said to be ditched. Um, a recent survey has found that a majority of both Conservative and Lib Dem MPs supported Lord Deere's proposal to remove the term insulting uh, from... I haven't got any of this audio in my screen, by the way, just so you know. Uh, well, uh, President, the Act makes it illegal to use threatening, abusive or insulting words or behaviour if they're likely to cause harassment, alarm or distress, which has led to countless arrests of ordinary people for making jokes and expressing opinions. Well, with us now is Barrister Toby Long from Noble Solicitors in Watford. Good morning, Toby. Good morning. Insulting someone is against the law, really? Yeah, well, it is, but um, it has to be uh, conduct. Uh, it's a defence to say that your conduct was reasonable. So if it's reasonable to insult somebody, then it wouldn't be a criminal offence. Someone has gone, has, has gone to court, have they, for calling a police officer's horse gay? Yes, I think that's right. And I think the issue that the, the people are really concerned with is the ability of police officers to interpret the law and make the arrest. Mm. 
and perhaps not whether it's going to actually lead to a conviction. So it's, I think it's more to do with the behaviour of police officers. Police officers do need to lighten up a bit, don't they? They can be... So, I, I, I've seen... I've call, I remember having an argument with a police officer and called him an idiot because he was being an idiot. And he got... I nearly got arrested for it. Yes. Uh, no, those incidents frequently... Um, come to court on a regular basis, and I think probably the position that you're in saved you from that. But if you were perhaps of a different demographic um, makeup, you might have been arrested and have found yourself before the court. It's weird, isn't it? In, in, insulting, though, because it's how you take it. If I call you fat and you're fat, you either take it as a description or you become insulted. That's true, but if I was fat, it, it, it would be true, and therefore both it, it would be an insult and it would be true, and I think it would therefore be reasonable, would it not? No, if you call someone fat and they're fat, that, is, that, uh, is that really an insult? That's a descriptive term. I think it is an insult. I mean, I, I looked up on an online dictionary and it said giving or causing um, insult characterised by affronting rudeness, insolence, etc. Ooh, insolence, etc. Indeed. And so I think uh, if you called me fat, even if I was, it would be affronting rudeness. Potentially even insolence. But, oh, really? <laughs> oh, gosh, now I'm in trouble. There's insolence involved, Toby. Uh, it's it's got to be... Th- th- this has to be scrapped, doesn't it? it, it you can see that it, it, it's problematic, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's down to uh, the individual's interpretation. I think you're completely correct. And, in fact, even the Home Office Circular, which sought people to um, make representations as to whether they thought it should be scrapped or not, said the offence would affect only the most low-level cases if it were to be scrapped. Mm. And, and also, how do you find out if a horse is gay or not these days? It's so hard to tell. You can't just tell by looking at them. Toby Long, uh, a barrister from Noble Solicitors in Watford, thank you very much indeed. You can't tell if a horse is gay these days. You, you, you just don't notice. The BBC in beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a local business uh, woman has been named the UK's Entrepreneur of the Year. Claire Austin, Managing Director of Austin's Funeral Directors, was selected as the country's top entrepreneur by the British Chamber of Commerce. And she joins me now. Morning, Claire. Congratulations. Good morning. Thank you very much. How did you do it? Why, why are you Britain's best entrepreneur? It's all down to uh, the achievement um, of Austin's, really. I mean, obviously, I've been awarded individually, but it's um, my fantastic team at Austin's Funeral Service who, over the last few years have achieved significant increase in business performance. How um, can you increase business performance in a funeral director? Because surely, you know, the business comes along when it comes along. Yes, absolutely it does. And obviously there's a finite number of deaths in the country, of course. Um, but it's all about customer care. Right. And our focus at Austin's is about customer care and uh, making sure that our clients receive absolutely, you know, top-notch um, from, from our, from our um, staff. Tell us what you do, Claire. What, what, what do you do at Austin's that's, that's so special? We lead bereaved people through the, pr- the process of losing their loved one. From the moment that they lose their loved one um, and they telephone us um, and they require our help, we lead them through the entire process of arranging the funeral and assisting them and supporting them through right until the end. Do you not find it depressing, Claire, working in that industry? Um, I'm asked this question a huge um, amount of times, and um, it isn't depressing. It's in, it's sad. Obviously, we have tragic cases, mm. and every, every death is is sad in its own way. Um, but it's hugely rewarding, um, and all the staff that work for me f- find it exactly the same. They couldn't do it otherwise. You know, it, it's extremely rewarding to ca- to help people through that process, mm. and. Um, that's what. That's why they stay. And Austin's has been a family business for how long? Th- uh, Three hundred and twelve years. Blimey! 
So yeah. you, you, what, your dad and your granddad, they, they yeah, were all I'm, doing it? I'm the 10th generation to run the business. Wow. Um, the first female to run the business. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so we're, we're fairly well established. Was there not a bit a point, Claire, when you're like, you know, a stroppy 15, 16, 17-year-old girl, mm-hmm. and, and, as they all are. Really? And you, well, <laughs> the ones I've, I've met when I was a teenager were, maybe it was just me. But when you, when you, did you not kind of go to your dad, oh, dad, really? Have I, got, have I got to be a funeral director? No, because I was never forced into the business. Right. So I actually came into the business fairly late. So I was 33. So I, I'd, I'd done my own thing. I'd gone elsewhere and done my own thing. So mm. it was my choice to come in later on, which I think was, was, was valuable for me and valuable for the business. Mm. Because I'd achieved um, you know, experience elsewhere which I think is, is very, very important. You did a mystery shopper programme. Yes, it's part of, you know, it's very important when you're in any, any industry, I think, to know what your competitors are doing and then kind of the service that they're providing to members of the public. So um, I did um, a, a year or so ago employ a, a, someone to go around all, all the, our local funeral directors just to get a feel of um, what service has been provided to the public by them, which was extremely valuable. And I, I hasten to add, I also did the same to my company. Right, OK. Um, n- obviously, m- with my, cl- my staff, not now. How did that work? So you sent, you sent someone, an actress or an actor, to the, to the rivals' companies and your company, pretending, what, they'd lost Dad or something, and... Yes, w- yes. Wow. Yeah, I think, I think lots, of, lots of businesses do that, and I think it's very valuable. I bet it, oh, I bet it is. I bet yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, it's a complete... And, and obviously, the person that I used had n- no insight into the funeral business at all. Mm. Um, which is also very important uh, because, you know, they're the ones that receive the real feedback of what, what they, their experience is. Now, in today's news, the government uh, has promised to help young entrepreneurs. How yes. important is that in business, I, do you I think? I think it's essential. I think it's absolutely essential. I think young entrepreneurs are the lifeblood of our future businesses, um, and I think all the support that they can receive is very important. Um, to, to set up your own business is extremely challenging. Um, however, it's very rewarding, so it's very worthwhile, you know, promoting, you know, this, this, these people. Um, and, you know, whether it be financially or a support, a support mechanism for people helping them to get started with assistance from other, other business people, mentors, if you like. Mm. Claire, well, listen, congratulations. Thank well done. Uh, and, and long may your business thrive. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Claire Austin, uh, who is Managing Director of Austin's Funeral Directors, been going for over 300 years as a family business. Wowzers. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's have a quick look at the front pages. The Daily Telegraph. Tax chaos as child benefit cuts loom. Almost a third of families affected by George Osborne's raid on child benefit have not been formally warned they will no longer be eligible for the handout. Wowzers. Uh, and there's Jim Davison, pictured with his fifth wife, Michelle. Uh, Davison arrested in Savile Abuse uh, investigation. And Minister tells farmers to push GM. Uh, the Times... Army told to open up its justice system. Victims of bullying and abuse uh, fear speaking out. And this is interesting. Should Lincoln's life have been cut shorter, Hollywood directors have been told to shorten their work. Lincoln, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, has been criticised for its overlong ending. Well, I went to New York recently. I don't know if you heard me banging on about it. And uh, I, I went to see Lincoln, because I, I got there Thursday evening, was wide awake, thought, I'll go and see a film. Go and see a film. The only film that was kind of on roundabout then was Lincoln. I watched the first 15 minutes, I thought, do you know what? Seriously, life is too short to watch this, Tosh. Overlong, wordy, pretentious, dull nonsense. But I agree. Overlong, I stuck stuck it for 15 minutes. Films are too long these days. Look, The Hobbit, The Hobbit goes on for four and a half hours. I don't know if that's true, but it probably feels like it. 
And then they've got a list of the longest films. Look, uh, Gone with the Wind is two minutes shy of four hours, the longest film to have won an Oscar. War and Peace, seven hours. Oh, for goodness sakes, look at this. French New Wave film, uh, Nolly Métangère, 12 hours, 40 minutes. I remember when I was a kid, films were 80 minutes long, 90 minutes at a push. When do they get so long? Anything over two hours, it's got to be good, otherwise, to be honest. I'm out. What's the longest film you've seen? Uh, The Guardian, Jim Davidson again. Uh, Hand back the Falklands, Argentina tells Cameron, the sexy Argentinian uh, leader, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner. I say sexy, that's my quote, that's not from The Guardian, that's my own interpretation of uh, the uh, situation. Uh, And markets soar after US steps back from cliff. Shares surge as FTSE breaks through 6,000 for the first time in 18 months. It won't last. The Independent... Um, treat white working-class boys like ethnic minority, Willits tells universities. Massive fall in admission demands drastic action. Uh, Universities will be told they should recruit more white working-class boys as figures show a massive slump in applications for men. The university's minister, David Willits, wants white working-class teenage boys put in the same category as students from other disadvantaged communities and ethnic minorities as groups that should be targeted for recruitment. Um, there we go. Uh, the Daily Express. Boom time for Britain at last. Boom time. Share price surge sparks hope recession is coming to an end. And Kimberly Walsh reveals her secret to staying in shape. Wow, let's turn to page three, shall we? And find out how a girl uh, d- manages to stay, sh- stay in shape. Strictly star Kim Walsh. Uh, is still uncertain about how sexy she is, despite the fact her derriere has its own hit Twitter page. Oh, for goodness sakes. The singer admits she was stunned to find out her perk behind is its own Twitter page and has gone viral. It's got a life of, of its own, she says. Something about my bum was trending on Twitter recently, and I was like, oh my God, you lot are crazy! Well done, well done. So a privileged woman has got a nice backside. Well done. Uh, the Daily Mail, 4,000 foreign murderers and rapists we can't throw out. And uh, yes, you can blame human rights again. Nearly 4,000 foreign murderists, rapists and other criminals are roaming the streets, free to commit new crimes. And the son, Nick Nicked, Davison arrested by Savile Cops, and there's a picture of a lady in her bra and indeed in her pants. You've been commenting on Facebook and, and uh, via the texts um, about allotments. Listen to this from Alison on Facebook. We used to have an allotment, but the guy on the neighbouring plot threatened to pour petrol over our beehives and set them on fire, so now on a waiting list for another, I used to go every lunchtime and evening, and the fellow would go most days. Really? Is it, is it like that on allotments? People threatening to pour petrol over your bees? Oh dear, sounds very unpleasant. Uh, let's get the latest news and sport now from Catherine Boyle. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at 8 o'clock. I know, You're I You're on for it a was, seven! No, it's a four, that. What? It was a four. Well, you're being generous. <laughs> what What went wrong? Well, talk us through it. Talk us through the moment it went wrong. In football terms? Yeah. I choked. <laughs> Text 81333. Oh dear. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Count Now Radio. It may sound harsh, me giving um, Catherine Boyle marks out of 20. Oh, did you think they're out of 10? But listen, it keeps her on her toes and it gives you a better show. Uh, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, well, lots of stuff, including charging uh, prisoners to stay in police cells, really. We'll discuss more on that in a little bit. But first, 
The entertainer, Jim Davison, has strongly denied sexual abuse allegations dating back to the 1980s. He's been released on bail after being arrested with another man in his 50s by police working on the Jimmy Savile inquiry. Paul Conyu is a media and PR consultant based in St Albans, also former editor of the Sunday Mirror. Morning, Paul. Good morning. Obviously, we have to tread carefully around this, but what's the latest on this? Well, I think it's been a, a little bit of a, a New Year gift to the headline writers with variations of nick-nicked or nick-nick-nicked, but, uh, but, but obviously it's also, you know, remarkable timing as Jim Davidson was about to make uh, what would have been probably his highest profile TV appearance for some time in uh, Channel 5 Celebrity Big Brother beginning this evening, and I gather he's going to be uh, replaced by mutual agreement. Right. Uh, and, and what are the nature of the allegations? Well, the, alleg- the allegations, which, which we must, must stress that Jim Davidson, through his lawyer, Henry Brownman, strenuously denied. Of course. The allegations, the allegations don't, although the, the arrest is by the Savile Savil Gate police, they don't involve any allegations, apparently, concerning children or underage. These were grown they, women in their 20s, they, weren't they? they, they, they according, according, according to Jim Davidson's lawyer, they... Uh, allegations, you know, being denied, but but being levelled by two women uh, who were in their mid-twenties, and this dates back uh, 25 years. Uh, that's the cr- crux of the allegations. There, there was another arrest yesterday as well. What do we know about that? Uh, what I know about... I, I do know the identity of the person who's been arrested, but it'd be better not to say on air, but it's uh, another entertainer who's a close friend uh, of Jim Davidson and lives near him in Hampshire. Jim, Jim Davidson, who I know slightly, li- lives these days... Part of the time in, in a million-pound uh, Tudor mansion in Hampshire, and half the time in Dubai. And it was uh, from Dubai that he flew in yesterday, expecting to uh, begin his stint on Seventy Big Brother, only, only to be um, apprehended uh, by the police at Heathrow Airport. Uh, Paul, uh, just going off on a very slight tangent, you've mentioned Big Brother there. Are, are, are you a fan of the Big Brother? Uh, I think it's... Well, the, the last viewing figures, you know, were... Higher than one expected at Channel Five, mm. who who gambled on buying it after Channel Four ditched it as past its sell-by date. It, it did better than expected. In a strange, in a in a strange way, although Jim Davidson won't be appearing, it's probably given a bit of a PR boost, uh, you know, to Channel Five. And ironically enough, I gather that Jim Davidson was brought in to. Uh, uh, Somebody big brother to replace the original choice, Justin Lee Collins, the comedian. So is Justin who, Lee uh, Collins not in it now then? Because that was the rumour, no, wasn't it? No, the, as I understand it, Justin Lee Collins was approached uh, and agreed in principle, but then of course came the, his little incident in court in St Albans, where he was convicted of assaulting a, for, a former lover. Um, and he, uh, I'm not sure whether he withdrew or Channel Five withdrew the invitation, but either either way. Justin Lee Collins fell by the wayside to be replaced by Jim Davidson. Just to, so, just to, uh, just to, just to, to, to cover both our backsides, he was he was uh, found guilty, I believe, of, of verbal uh, bullying, and it wasn't a, a physical verbal, assault. A yes. not, not, not a physical assault. Correct, but yes, a, just to clarify. But a, but a, but a verbal bullying. Do we know anybody else who's going in the Big Brother house, Paul? Are you aware of anyone? Because uh, I, I quite I'm enjoy certain. it, to be honest. Julian my... Tailforth of EastEnders fame is rumoured to be is rumoured to be one. That's one name I've heard, which I think is probably going to turn out to be correct. But right. uh, otherwise, uh, Channel Five um, are doing their best to keep the lid on. But of course, uh, 
with their links to the Express newspaper group, I'm sure we'll be seeing a huge amount of uh, Big Brother coverage and at least two national titles. But I think uh, I think the the Jim Davidson affair will probably you know who uh, give it a give it an audience boost and probably mm. and probably more mentions in in the rival media than it might have expected otherwise. Paul, thank you very much indeed, Paul Conyu, media and PR consultant based in St Albans, uh, talking to us there uh, about Jim Davidson. We're, we're, we're talking about Big Brother. Um, because it does start tonight, and it, it is one of my guilty pleasures, and I do it, I, I must admit, I take a, a shilling every now and then from the Big Brother team to go and talk about it, and I will be the, um, the weekend, I think, Sunday night. Um, but, uh, yeah, th- th- they've kind of kept it quite close to their chest as to who's coming on, haven't they? On FM, AM, and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. So, are you, a, are you a fan of the allotments? Do you have allotments? Does, does anyone use them these days? I, I'm surprised that they're so popular. We've got some text. David from Marsh Farms. Uh, Marsh Farm says allotments. They keep you fit, get you back to nature, and feed you. Our one keeps us in fruit and veg for most of the year with the aid of a large freezer. See, growing your own vegetables, I've tried it. I've had a go at it. It's flipping hard work. It's all exciting when you're planting the seeds and, oh, yeah, look, the shoots are coming through. But then when you dig up your mouldy onions and your tiny, soggy potatoes and you think, oh, what? That's six months of hard work has gone into making that when uh, it turns out supermarkets sell fruit and veg yeah and they, they sell it they sell it quite cheaply as well same thing goes for jam i tried to make jam a couple of years ago gooseberry jam yeah gooseberries no uh, well i just thought it'd be nice and uh, arty i didn't boil the jars long enough and i didn't put enough sugar in so it went moldy within like a week and again you can buy jam really cheaply these days sainsbury's do it tesco's do waitrose do as well you can just go in and buy it uh, and another texter uh, I, I live in west watford I know the council are moving the farm terrace allotment errs to a new site less than two miles away. I can't see what the problem is. A few allotment holders versus thousands of hospital users. There's no argument. Well, what do you think? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call uh, and let us know what you think about that, um, are you a fan of the allotment? Does anyone really use them? Does anyone need them? It does seem like a lot of faff and a lot of hassle, doesn't it, really? To have to go down there and get on your hands and knees and dig bits and pieces up and, and, and do all of this stuff. When you can just go down to, uh, to the supermarket and buy vegetables very, very cheaply these days. There's hardly any need to go and do all this digging. And you, 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 you're completely at the mercy and the whim of the weather. If you get a little bit too much rain or a bit too much sunshine and it's all dry, then you're completely screwed, aren't you? There's nothing you can do. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call and let me know, are you a fan of the allotments? What do you do? What, what do you go and do down there? Is it just a case of sitting in your shed trying to get a bit of, a bit of quiet time away from the missus? Is that really what it's all about? Uh, I'm going to need a script for this. There we go. Lovely. Well, we're talking about allotments because campaigners fear there soon won't be any left in Hertfordshire after increasing amounts of land are being sold to developers. In Watford, there's now an ongoing battle to save Farm Terrace. Developers want the plot in order to expand the General Hospital and build 600 new homes. A final decision is yet to be made by the Secretary of State. Professional garden designer Cleve West has written a book. He's also a fervent campaigner in a plight to keep allotments. Good morning, Cleve. Good morning. why do we need allotments? Oh, gosh. I don't know where to start. There's so many reasons. I mean, health, basically. I don't need to go to the gym. 
um, education for children. They need to know where food comes from. So, uh, for a community, from a community point of view, they are fantastic. And to rip up an allotment is to rip out the heart of a community. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean to say you have to have an allotment. They can be appreciated by people outside allotments as well as we have. Um, they protect biodiversity. Insects are so important these days, especially in cities. <clears throat> so all that green space is valuable. And also, you know, just the local distinctiveness, all the customs and may have um, taken decades or centuries to evolve. You know, all that character, all the Id- idiosyncrasies that England is known for. Aren't they a little bit old-fashioned, Cleve? Weren't they kind of introduced during the war so that people could help grow their own food and bits and pieces? We don't really need them now, do we? Well, they were introduced then, um, but... I wouldn't definitely wouldn't call them old-fashioned. I think they've actually come into their own now, um, and and people are really discovering the beauty and the benefits of them from a holistic point of view. And to and to take them out is really a, a travesty. How important is it, do you think, to have an allotment close to home? Because the the, the ones in Watford that we're talking about, they're, they're being planned to be moved sort of almost three miles away. No, well that's crucial. Uh, my allotment is um, ten minute cycle ride, and that's about. That's really almost too far for me. You know, they, they need to be walking distance, preferably. Um, so, you know, to actually move them miles away from where existing allotment holders are would, would be just put them off. What do, you, what do you grow on your allotment, Cleve? All sorts of vegetables, an amazing range. Um, you know, everything we like to eat, basically. Um, you know, there's no, there's no limit on it, and lots of fruits as well. So, Is there a little bit of, little bit of rivalry? We had an e- a, a, a message from, uh, from Alison, who used to have an allotment. She used to keep bees on her allotment. Yeah. And her neighbour got a little bit funny and threatened to pour petrol all over it. Oh, well, some stupid people are frightened of insects. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's just crazy. Uh, the, if anyone who understands the nature and the benefits of nature and the holistic... Uh, message that nature gives, then, you know, they're not going to start throwing petrol on bees. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But is there a little bit... Is it a community on the allotment, or are there some people who are a little bit secretive, a little bit private? Hey, whoa, you can't... Don't look at my lettuce. Oh, well, no, the the allotment is is almost like utopia. It's a little community in itself, but that doesn't mean to say that it's all plain sailing, and and the book I've written actually sort of describes all that. People do have differences of, of opinion. But on the whole, it does allow people of all sorts of different backgrounds to get together. It's one big melting pot. Um, whether everyone gets on or not, it's the fact that everyone mixes together and without killing each other is the wonderful thing. Oh, that, would be, that would be the nice uh, aspect of it. Is it a nationwide problem, Cleve? Are, are we losing these all across the country? Well, we're not. I mean, the allotments came into... They, they've become very fashionable over the last few years. It's only because the, the Garden Press can only write about allotments for so long. And mm. while they were on the headlines... Very few were being um, taken apart, but now they're sort of out of the headlines. I think some of the councils and developers, and I, as, as a landscape gardener, I've seen how some developers work, and it's not pretty. Mm. And um, they, and it's resorting to bullying tactics. And I heard your mayor talking, and she was really came across as a, a bully and couldn't really articulate exactly why these allotments. In fact, she said that the allotments uh, weren't. Uh, they could actually stay there, mm. and the hospital could be built, you know, the extension to the hospital could be built. So, you know, I don't know where she's coming from. It's just, she just strikes me as a bully. Uh, Cleve, give the, give the book a plug, please. Go on, what is it, and where can people get it? It's called Our Plot, and um, it's published by Francis Lincoln. 
Um, so I guess you can still get it on Amazon. We shall have a little look. Cleve West, thank you very much for coming on uh, indeed. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to give us a call about any of the things we're talking about this morning, uh, you're more than welcome to 08459 455 555. Now, here's something you may have an opinion on. Should someone arrested be handed a bill for the rent of a cell when they leave? Well, it's one idea put forward by the new Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire, David Lloyd. He also thinks that uh, the speed awareness courses credited with improving speeding driver skills should be more expensive. David Lloyd joins me now. Morning, David. Morning, Ian. Charging criminals rent for staying in a cell. That's quite right. Really? Yes, indeed. Tell, explain how it works. Well, first of all, we've got to make sure we can do it, but assuming we can, yep. the way that I see it working is that rather than you having to pay for someone's wrongdoing, mm. they should pay themselves. I think that uh, we need to uh, get a society where, where people pay where they do something wrong, and I think that one of the ways that they can do that is through charging them uh, money to stay overnight in the cell. How much would it cost? Well, I don't know yet. Um, that's why this is out for consultation. That's why this is out for uh, people to comment on it and see if they agree with me. I have to say that I've had a lot of very positive coverage so far. It's uh, It really is uh, a very expensive part of policing, and, uh, you know, putting people up in cells overnight is almost always the fault of the individual. So what, if they can't, what if they can't pay? Well, let's actually look at how we can make it work rather than those that it might not work with. Um, if they can't pay, we'll chase them, but uh, let's just see how it works. But no, but it's, quite, it's an important thing, though. If, if the rule is you're going to charge someone to stay yeah. in there overnight, if, if they can't pay because they can't afford it, what are you going to do? Put them in jail? Well, I think that uh, we've uh, got to work through that properly, but... Um, you must have considered that as an option, yeah, though, Indeed. What, what, what I think is that um, what we've got here is uh, people who use the facilities of the police overnight. Mm. They're there not because they've uh, done things uh, well and been law-abiding. They're there because they have been arrested and they're being kept there overnight. Mm. And I think that most people in this country would say that, they, that the, the people who have caused that should pay for it, not the uh, mm. honest taxpayer. Now, there may well be people who uh, can't afford to pay. We'll have to work out how we do that and how we chase um, the payment from them. We've also, as I underline, got to make sure that it's uh, mm. possible to do it and legal to do it. Assuming it is, we will push hard to make sure that we get back from miscreants uh, the, the money it costs to look after them. But you, you, are you saying you've not considered the options that you would have to pursue if they couldn't pay? What I'm saying is is that this is the start right. of a consultation. So you've not, consi you've not considered what that I've option? What I've said is this is the start of a consultation. Okay. But, but you've not considered... Because this is surely the obvious flaw in the system. If they can't pay, how are you going to get the money from them? Well, what I want to do is to make sure that those who can pay do right. pay. Those who can't pay, we'll have to work out how we get the money from them. Okay. But let's you actually... seem keen to avoid that question. No, I'm so not at all keen to well, avoid answer it. it. Well, answer it then. Well, how, what would you do for those who can't pay? Well, what, what does anyone do for those who can't pay? I don't know. I've not they, come up with this idea. What, this is what yours. They do, what they do so for I'm those who can't pay. So I'm asking you. It's your plan. Well, that's a reason, reasonable question to ask. Yeah. But, the, but what I'm saying is, let's look at the 80% of the people who will be able to pay, right. first of all, and let's put them to one side, because if we get the income out of them, that'll be a good thing. Uh, the people who can't pay, the gainsayers will always say, well, what about when it goes wrong? Yes. I'm a glass-half-full person. Let's look at those where it goes right. It's very, it's, it, I can see what you're doing. You're trying to get me to avoid this question, but are you saying that the 80% people that can pay would cover the 20% the that couldn't pay? No, I'm saying that at the moment, no-one pays for it. Right. I'm saying that I think they should pay for it. Right. I recognise, which is why I'm saying we need to work through, that there may be some people who can't pay for 
for it. Yeah. Now, for those people who can't pay, we'll need to uh, to consider what we do, and that's why. What considerations is, have you come that up with? That is why. Well, look, I've only just started the consultation, haven't okay. I? What I'm doing is asking people what okay. they want to do, what they th- if they think this is broadly a good idea or not. And I have to say, the feedback I've got so far is that broadly people think this is a good idea. But it's obviously flawed. No, it's not flawed. Well, you've not covered all the options. Well, no, that's not true. Um, well, well, OK, I, I'll ask you again, then. One of the options is, what would you do for those that can't pay? For those who can't pay, yeah. we will work through whether or not we can then chase them uh, for payment uh, through, through wi- whichever means is possible. But, of course, if someone's got no money whatsoever, yes. they may well not pay, and we've got to accept there may well be some right. people who okay. won't pay. Then However, what I'm doing at the moment isn't saying this is the finished uh, product. No, no, no. Not what I'm saying is this is the start of a consultation and one of the things we'll have to look at yeah. is whether or not the amount of people who go through the cells um, are, are people who can't pay. Mm. I think it's unlikely that the majority of people can't pay. Uh, people will end up in, uh, in uh, jail overnight uh, because they've been out drinking all evening. If they can afford to drink all evening, they can probably afford to pay for the hotel. But a lot of people end up in prison in, in jail overnight because they are uh, at the, the lower end of the earning spectrum and they've, they've turned to crime, haven't they? So th- th- you could understand that not having the money yeah, to pay would I, be I, important and, issue. And, and as you've rightly highlighted, and I'd expect you to highlight, yes. uh, and you've gone straight into what happens about those who can't, yes. we've got to think that through, haven't we? You certainly have, it would appear. What about those uh, that, that, that kept in prison overnight but they're innocent? Would they, would they have to pay? Would they get a refund? Those, well, those people who are innocent, I mean, I think the, the other question we've got to look at is, at what point do we charge them? Do we say the next morning, um, here's your hotel bill, by the way, yeah. or do we wait till the justice system has, uh, has, has worked through and say, and at the bottom of it, here's your hotel bill? Mm. That is why I'm consulting. That's why I'm finding out what, what the legalities are around it. Clearly, someone who has been detained, who is innocent, um, there is a different element there than someone who has been detained who is guilty. Mm. How However, the principle here is you are using a service. You are staying there overnight and you are costing the taxpayer money. And certainly, even if we didn't uh, charge them for the, uh, for the, uh, the, the, the uh, bed, the, the cost of food, for example, would not seem unreasonable, would it? That mm. uh, in the same way as if you go into hospital, you charge for your food, that if you go into the prison, you charge, and if you go into cells overnight, you charge for your food. You're not charged for food in hospital. You are in many hospitals, yes. Not in any ones I've stayed in. It's all been part of it. No, I think you'll find that you're charged... Anyway. I, the, well, the, the, I, the, I know the ones that I stayed in very, very recently, I was given free food. Right, well, there we are. Let's not, let's not move away from no. what the, the issue here is. And the issue here is, um, should someone who's being detained have to pay for the services they let's, use? We've got a phone call. Got, uh, Andy is, is in Snowbans. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. You're a former policeman, are you? What do you make of uh, this, uh, this plan by David Lloyd to possibly charge people to stay in, in prisons overnight? Um, not in prison, it's in place cells, but the, the reality is that there is, there is a, a min- minority who want a better description and get, get drunk out of their face and then will uh, expect the police to uh, put them up for the night, quite literally. I've seen it time after time. What, they think it's going to be like an... Uh, like, oh, could, could, could you give us a bed to sleep on tonight? Well, a guy came into the reception of the police station and, and, and weed up the counter. He knew full well that if he did it, we'd, 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 we'd drag him in. Um, sometimes I'm all this time. So the whole situation is... is and, and the other thing is, if they can't afford to pay, perhaps we could uh, give the community service. 
don't we pay? Don't I pay? For, don't we pay for this with our taxes? Don't, haven't these people paid already for for these facilities? Isn't that how it works? I guess. I guess this is part of austerity measures, isn't it? Think things aren't the same as they used to be. David, is, is it part of austerity? Uh, well, I, th- I, th- I think Andy's quite right, actually. I mean, these are just the sort of people that we've got to get. I mean, why should you be paying for that person to stay overnight in, uh, mm. in, in St Albans? So, you know, I think that this is, the, this is the start of the whole bit around the new police and crime plan. Mm. This is about, you know, properly looking after uh, victims of crime. This is about uh, encouraging active system, uh, citizens. But this is about having a better business sense and making sure that where people use our services, where they can afford to pay for them, and I, I put to one side the whole issue about those who can't pay and whatever, but where they can afford to pay for them, they pay for them. And I don't think that anyone will say that's a bad idea. Yes, you've paid your council tax, but wouldn't you want it to go a little bit further? And surely you'd prefer it to go on things which are benefiting you rather than uh, locking up the person overnight. I would, argue, I would argue that the, the, the police putting people in cells is benefiting me, and that's what part of what my council tax is going towards. But the, the other idea is to charge more money for speed awareness courses. Yeah, How indeed. much do, do they cost now? Um, currently they're 80 pounds off the top of my head and uh, what I'm looking to do there you see I, th- I think again it's about how we broaden this out it- it's interesting isn't it at the moment um, we put people on speed awareness courses if they are just over the limit mm. actually what speed awareness courses should really be about is re-educating people and in many ways those people who really exceed the speed limit need the most re-education mm. They need to have underlined why things are, uh, why they shouldn't drive as fast as they, they are driving. Now, there are two ways of doing that. First of all, you probably need a longer course. Mm. Secondly, you need to be uh, put on that course and made to go on that course. And thirdly, actually, you probably need to be hit a little bit harder in the pocket. Mm. I think all those things work. And um, so if we charge extra, especially if we do it on a, a graduated uh, basis for those who have broken the speed limit by greater and greater amounts, um, that will be a good thing. Actually, it will also mean that uh, we can uh, enforce better and that we've got safer streets because if there's more money coming in, that will work far better. So, again, it's about the citizens. Uh, helping citizens police themselves is about helping uh, um, us to to do even better job of policing. In the it county. sounds interesting, and these you know this is an historic time because with the new police and, and crime commissioners, we, we are finding the boundaries. What's the next step for you, very quickly? What's the next step? How do you progress these plans? Well, um, we will publish these um, uh, by March. They will be published. This is the, the first police and crime plan I've done. I want you to come in uh, onto, or uh, anyone who is interested in to, to get involved with this, go on the website, heartscommissioner.org. That's the way that uh, you can get involved. I want people to comment on these because I want to make sure that these are the right plans for the people of Hertfordshire. I want distinct and uh, great policing in Hertfordshire. We've already got great policing in Hertfordshire. I want to continue with that. David Lloyd, thank you very much for coming in. As smart as always. Very nice to see you at this time in the morning. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. That was a seven. She's back in the game. Out of 20. Ugh. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past eight on Thursday already. What? Pantomime at the weekend. Oh, yes, Mr. Maker. Going to see Mr. Maker in St. Albans. Very excited. The whole family's excited about that. Can't wait. Lots coming up on the show in the last hour, including more on this allotment story. We'll be speaking to Mr. Charles Hodges. Yes, Chaz from Chaz and Dave is coming on. We'll speak to him in a second. 
are your streets too busy with street furniture? By that, I mean too many signs scattered all over the place. Can we find the busiest street in Beds, Hearts and Bucks? And whatever else takes your fancy. You can get in touch by going to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. Or we've got, look, two lines free now. Why don't you give us a call? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, campaigners fear there soon won't be any allotments left in Hertfordshire after increasing amounts of land are sold to developers. In Watford, there's now an ongoing battle to save Farm Terrace. Developers want the plot in order to expand the General Hospital and build 600 new homes. A final decision is yet to be made by the Secretary of State. Well, Chaz Hodges, yeah, from Chaz and Dave, has his own plot in Aston near Stevenage. He's even written a book called Chaz and His Rock and Roll Allotment. Morning, Chaz. Good morning, Ian. How you doing, fella? You right? I'm all right. <clears throat> Did get better, right? I'm away recording a new album out in Bristol. Oh, you're doing but, a new uh, album? Yeah, I've, I've woken up specially for you. May, and, and may God bless you for that. Listen, listen I've, I've read your um, your rock and roll allotment book. Yeah. It's, it's a cracking read. Well, thank you very much for that. I enjoyed writing it. What What do you get out of, out of allotments, Chaz? Why are they so important? It, it is uh, so good all round. It, it's uh, the exercise you get. Is, is fantastic, and uh, the food that you get from it is fantastic. And, and in the job that I do, it works. It runs alongside it perfectly. I mean, if I'm in the studio recording, I mean, at home, if I'm writing writing for two or three hours, it's lovely to sort of stretch my arms and say, right, okay, I'm going to get out in the air now. It is perfect for thinking, for for clearing the cobwebs. There's nothing like it. But Chaz, you do know that you can buy vegetables in supermarkets these days. Yes, I do, and when you buy them, once you've grown your own, and then you go in and buy them, they look very, very nice. Nice and green behind the uh, the uh, plastic polythene, and they do look very nice, but they don't taste, <laughs> they've lost their taste. <laughs> it's, uh, you're, you're right, it's true. I've, I've my, uh, yes, I've got a friend who's got an allotment, and it, it, it does taste a whole lot different. Why, why do you think allotments are important for the community, Chaz? Well, because, I mean... The allotment that I've got now is a village allotment. Uh, it was one of the uh, one of the locals who let out some of his land, um, which I'm very lucky to, to to acquire a piece of. And it's a community thing. I mean, we all got together around Christmas for a drink uh, and a talk about our potatoes and our cabbages and our lettuces. Uh, it's a great social thing, and it's just so healthy all round. It's fantastic. If you've never tried it, once you try it. You won't go back to buying vegetables in the supermarket. What What is so rock and roll about your allotment, Chaz? Sorry, say that what, what, what is so rock and roll about your allotment? Um, <clears throat> I've done it my own way. Uh, the book that I've written, this is how I do it. There's certain things that I don't grow because they take too much looking after. I've been growing my own stuff for uh, over 40 years now, so I've got quite a bit of experience. And... Um, the way I grow it, um, it still gives any any young any young bloke that wants to take it up. It still gets time to go down the pub and have a pint. What's 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 number one on the Hodges table from your your allotment? Then what's the thing that the missus everyone looks forward to when it when it comes home? The number one thing that I grow is onions. Oy. Always grow onions because you can't grow enough, 
um, spring onions. You can you can take them when they're when they're young. You can let them mature and they'll store. Hang them up in the garage or the shed, and they'll store for the winter. So number one thing to grow is onions. Charles, have you got any letters after your name, like an MBE or an OBE or anything? No, it's about time, isn't it? What? Oh, so, what? <laughs> Listen, Bradley Wiggins, right, the, the mod cyclist who's won a couple of races, has been knighted. When are we yeah. going to get Sir Chaz and Sir Dave? What's going on there? Well, uh, people have got to uh, uh, get voting for us. And uh, mind you, I don't really know what you get out of it. Uh, is, is, do you get money off at the, um, <laughs> in the shops when you get one of those things? I, I think it is like having vouchers. You can go in and you get like 15 pence off right. your Lenore and... OK, I want one of them then. <laughs> we'll sort it out. Listen, I'm, I'm good friends with, um, with Kate and Paul, your daughter and your son-in-law. How, how are they yeah, doing? They're all right? I've met you, yeah, yeah, I've met you many times here. I've yeah. met you a couple of times, yes. Are, are they all right? I've not spoken to them for a while. Are they well and healthy? They, they are great. A few colds over the uh, over the Christmas. You've got a little little. Uh, I've got a little grandson then, now Harry. Do yeah, you know I, Harry? Do, I do know Harry. Yeah, I've been to a couple of his birthday parties. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a great, pleasure. He's yeah. a joy, isn't he? He certainly is. He's coming up for five. It'll be five in five. Uh, in March. It goes quickly, doesn't it? Uh, and Chaz, yeah, the, yeah. the new album. When's that going to be out? I'm hoping for it to be out in the spring. Brilliant. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm having a good time recording it. I'm down here for uh, about three or four days, and uh, hopefully I'll have it finished this week. Listen, when it when it comes out, we'll get you on the show and we'll uh, we'll, we'll play a couple of tracks from it. Okay, Ian, that sounds like a great idea. Chaz, lovely to speak to you. Speak to you again soon, mate. Take care. Bye bye. And you, mate. There we go. Fantastic. Chaz from Chaz and Dave. I do. I know his his, his son-in-law really well because he was on a show I did years ago, the 11 o'clock show. And uh, I went to, we were talking about his grandson there, I went to his grandson's, I guess it was his third uh, birthday party, I think. The musical entertainment, it was Chaz on the old piano. Fantastic. That's a third birthday party. Superb. Well, our reporter, Jane, Kill- uh, Jane Killick, went to meet the allotment holders. Yes, we were talking about allotments. I knew there was a reason for this. Uh, went to meet the uh, allotment holders in Watford this morning. We were just gutted. I mean, um, I've got three small children and a tiny backyard. Um, so the allotment to us is everything. The children have grown up on it. It's where they exercise. It's where they grow their food. It's where we come to, to be with the other people, to communicate communicate together it was absolutely devastating when we found out that we were going to lose them and we were given such little warning about it as well but you are going to be given provision allotments elsewhere aren't you absolutely that's that's legally the only way they can do it but unfortunately i don't drive and the allotments are over two miles away so with three small children you can imagine it's just not feasible at all and do you grow potatoes or something like that, have to bring them back two absolutely, miles? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and bring everything down as well because the allotments, unfortunately, like a lot of allotments, get broken into, so you have to bring a lot of equipment down when you, at certain times of the year, you need to do certain things. So there's no way that I can carry that, plus a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old. Um, it's just impossible. Well, you must have told the council you're not happy about this. What's been their reaction? <laughs> um, Basically, they're not listening. Um, they've come up with this excuse, basically, about the hospital. Um, and it's, you know, we went to a meeting just two weeks ago where the hospital said that they could build, they could build the campus without using the allotments. It would be difficult, but they could do it. Um, and so it's just, it, it's, it's really annoying because it's just, uh, uh, no, it's, it's just lies, basically. So we're finding out this morning that uh, allotments are more than just a little patch of ground where you grow some onions. They, they, they kind of do serve the community. And to some people, they're an important part of their life. 
Uh, Alison has emailed in 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Thank you for covering this issue. I'm all for allotments, and as they say, when it's gone, it's gone. They never create new green space. Well, that's, that's true, isn't it? And, and we were speaking to the mayor earlier, and I said, ah, but these houses, there will be a, a kind of a green area involved in it. Yeah, but it's, it's not going to be as big as the one now. And yes, the allotments may look a little bit scruffy and a little bit messy, but they obviously bring so much to people's lives. They're so important, it would seem. Don't know, not got one. I'm beginning to, to kind of... My head is shifting towards thinking, well, maybe allotments are a cracking idea. 08459 455 555. What do you think? Have you got an allotment? Do you use it? Is it really important to you? Would you be devastated if it went? Or are you kind of thinking, I'll oh, just grow up? Grow up, for goodness sakes. What a load of old nonsense. Uh, and we had David Lloyd in earlier on, who is uh, the police uh, crime uh, commissioner for uh, Hertfordshire, I think it is. Um, and he's talking about possibly, well, he's investigating how feasible it would be, and indeed how legal it would be, to charge people to stay in prison cells overnight. So they'd kind of leave the next morning and they'd get like a little bill. This is your bill. This is what you ate. This is how long you stayed. And this is for your extras. Uh, Stuart in Tring has texted 81333, starting his text 3CR. Rubbish idea. Don't pay and what happens? They'll do it by collecting fines. No chance of happening. David did seem a little bit unsure as to what would happen for those people who don't pay, who can't pay. Seeming to think that it was, it was a minority issue. I would suggest that a lot of people who end up in prison cells overnight are there because they haven't got any money and they've been caught shoplifting or nicking stuff. Not in any way to condone it or to encourage it, but I would, I would guess that the majority of people who spend the night in prison cells, apart from those idiots that get boozed up, that the majority of them are people at the lower end of the financial spectrum, aren't they? You're not going to get, like, many rich people in prison cells overnight. I don't think it works like that. What do you think? Is it a good idea? Uh, or, or is it a terrible idea? Charging people to stay in prison cells. Also, kind of, my taxes pay for that, don't they? And I sort of don't mind my taxes paying for that, because... The taxes go towards, my council tax goes towards policing. And part of policing is putting people in cells overnight. That's sort of what it's for, isn't it? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. We've got two lines free. Now is an excellent time. You can, of course, go to the Facebook page uh, and have your say there. It's, It's a great way to go and argue with the other listeners. You can see the thrill I get from doing it. Stop the presses. David Prever in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Doing an excellent job, by the way. Thank you very much. Very but then kind. you just, you, you, you can't give me that kind of shock revelation moments no. before I'm about to microphone up. What on earth did you do last night? I did what all dads do. You've done it. Yep. My daughter, she's two, forced yep. her way into our bed mm-hmm. at uh, one o'clock in the morning and I can't sleep there with the two of them. It's bad enough having one woman in the two of them yep. like that. So um, I slept on the floor on a, on a mattress. Wow. In her room, in my daughter's room. You've not done that yet? I've not done that. Slept in boy's room? I tell you what I've done. I have slept in my boy's room, but he's got a bed. But a bed that's really tiny. That's got, and you've slept in his bed? And I've slept You're cramped. eight foot tall. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But also, because uh, the, 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 the romantic image of having kids sleep in your bed is, ah, oh, you all no. snuggle no, up no, three no, no, in no. a row and it's lovely. No, you don't. Not at all. They sleep, they, they sleep horizontal. And they slam, they kick you in the face? Kick you in the face. Yes, it's not. I've been pushed out of bed. No, because one of the, um, the plus uh, sides of me getting up at four o'clock in the morning, me, 
means I sleep in the spare room. Ah, I sleep in the, the old spare room card. Oh, the old spare room card. So my yeah. wife gets the kids climbing into bed and yes, all of that nonsense. And Daddy's right. fast asleep. Fantastic. Daddy's got to get up in the morning. Daddy's got to get up in the morning. So Very Daddy good. goes to bed at eight. Yeah. Watches some telly up there. Yeah, reads exactly. some books. Bit of yeah, quiet time. Get something nice without. Yeah. Very good. What's on your show this morning? Uh, should the winter fuel allowance be means tested? Most pensioners should lose this. I know you're talking a, a bit about this this morning. They should lose the winter fuel allowance to pay for reform of the care funding system, according to a, a Liberal Democrat. So around 300 quid this 300 pound for pensioners who can afford to spoil their grandchildren take holidays two or three times a year go to the bingo the theater and the cinema is he right how important is that 300 quid and if it was taken away tomorrow what difference would it make to you would you be able to heat your home we, we've done this before on the mm. show uh, when this was kind of first touted uh, and loads of people phoned up and, and defended the, the the fuel allowance. I said, well, well, what about Alan Sugar? Yes, exactly. Does, does, does he need... Well, it's his right. He just throws copies of his books on the fire to <laughs> warm his house. He burns those. Uh, you're on at nine o'clock? Yes. Look forward to listening Thank to you. it. Thank you very much, David Priva. If you want to start, if you want to start emailing him, yes. Uh, yes, you can do. JVS show at bbc.co.uk. JVS show at bbc.co.uk. Put your phone number in um, and uh, they'll give you, the team will give you a call and you could be on the show. It's an interesting one. The means testing the winter fuel allowance. People get very, very upset by it. Very upset. My gra- uh, my in-laws, sorry, uh, they're quite well-to-do. They're not millionaires, but they're quite well-to-do. And, and I remember the, 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 being my father-in-law saying, well, why should I get the winter fuel allowance? You know, I don't need it. I'll take it, but I don't need it. Uh, Send an email to David now, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. This morning we've been talking about pointless street signs. The Minister for Transport wants local authorities to take thousands down. He says they clutter the high street. What do you think? There are, there are some streets. There's one in Edinburgh that years ago, they were one of the first in this country to do it. They got rid of uh, a lot of the street signs. And there's, a st- there's at least one street in London, um, right by the Science Museum, where they got rid of all of them. And it looks, fan- it looks weird. But it looks fantastic. It's clean. It's empty. Loads of space. What, what do you think? Are there too many street signs around? Paul Waters is from the AA and joins me now. Morning, Paul. Hello, good morning. How important is it, do you think, to declutter the street? It's fairly important. Uh, a lot of AA members agree with the general public and Norman Baker that there are too many road signs. Um, more, than, more than 50% said there were too many road signs. However, when we asked them which ones they'd like to see less of... Um, they weren't quite so sure. They, in fact, wanted to see more speed limit signs. They wanted to see more direction signs. Oh, hang on a minute. So um, there was a bit of a, a bit of a contradiction there. Um, I think because we need traffic regulated and we need to know about dangerous things, we need to know where we're going. So it's a catch-22. However, we could get rid of quite a lot and still keep those important ones. You know those signs that say, um, look out, there are, rocks might be falling... Yes. I've never seen any rocks falling, ever. <laughs> ever. In, in, in nearly 40 years of life. That's a very fair point. And you also see the rock falling signs when you've got nets that stop the rocks yeah. from falling. So get rid of those. They're gone straight away. We've got it's rid of a, those. It's a liability issue. What? I'm worried about being sued. Oh, that's, that's the problem, you see. We've, everyone's worried about being sued. What ones could we realistically get, get rid of? I think probably we don't need to pick on a particular type of sign. Right. We need to have an audit to see where engineers have put signs up 
and not taken signs down or not amalgamated signs and so you could probably take three signs down and replace them with a nice shiny new one that does the job better and tidier than those three ugly signs the thing is paul you'll know this being working for the aa that that a, a lot of drivers are idiots aren't they and they need to be told everything they need to be told the speed because they don't know what the speed limits are they need to be told to keep left they need all of that don't they um you couldn't expect anyone from the aa to say that drivers are idiots but, oh, um, i thought i was gonna get you <laughs> they, they certainly want information but they also, <laughs> well done they also need to know that um that the roads are safe they need to know when there's a dangerous bend but um yeah you should know your signs and you should know your speed limits and you should know your road environment and what speed to drive at so um you know there is an element of skill and experience in this um but you know we if we want to regulate traffic and there's ever more traffic there are ever more cars um we do have to regulate and we have to do that through some signage there's no way around it Mm. Uh, they, they, I can't, I'm trying to think there's a country, I think it's Denmark or something, where they've got a whole town that's got rid of their street signs. And that just sounds great to me, because you see, you know, some of these great historic villages and towns that we've got in the three counties, with just these horrible signs plastered everywhere. And it detracts from, from the kind of the beautiful buildings that we have. It does, and the concept of, 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 of less street furniture, as we call it, is a good one. It can make places look so much more attractive. We need to be in Innovative. We've got technology coming along. We've got apps that you can have now to help you find parking spaces, give you a route. Um, and so I think gradually we can get away with some, some from fewer signs in some of our cities and uh, even the countryside, particularly, of course, where they're very intrusive. Uh, Paul Waters from the AA, thank you very much indeed. I nearly got him to say that all drivers are idiots. I nearly did. Didn't quite, but got very close to it. I, to- I totally agree with this. I think there are far too many street signs. If you don't know what the speed limit is, you shouldn't be driving. If you don't know that you're supposed to, that, 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 uh, in those yellow boxes, it's a right turn box. You can turn right. You can, you can wait in a right turn box. Yeah, you can wait in it if you're turning right. If you don't know that, well, then you, you shouldn't be driving a car. Because that's basic road safety and highway code, isn't it? 08459. Four double five, five double five. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, earlier on, we had uh, David Lloyd, who is the uh, Police and Crime Commissioner, um, uh, in the studio. Uh, he's uh, from uh, the Police and Crime Commissioner for Hertfordshire, uh, uh, of course, um, and was suggesting that maybe we could start charging uh, criminals who are in police cells overnight. That might be a way to recoup some of our losses. Uh, Sheila's in St Albans. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. What do you think is a sensible idea, isn't it? Um, I think it's a, I say flawed idea. He worries me the fact that when he said that if you're in hospital, you're charged for your meal. You're not, are you? No, no, well, put it like this. I don't know. Maybe he goes to a different hospital that I would go to. I see. So, in other words, his planet and my planet are different. Mm. And I'm wondering whether or not, you know, this idea nowadays of sue and be sued, if, for instance, you got arrested and you were kept um, longer than you felt was appropriate and the food wasn't appropriate, would you then turn around as you do at a hotel and say, well, you want to charge me £50 a night and I'm sorry, but the service, the food, etc., <laughs> the, the room service. wasn't up to scratch, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to reduce it to £10.50 and we'll argue it out in court. Mm. Have you ever done that in a hotel, Sheila? <laughs> Argued the bill. I'd be too terrified. <laughs> well, I would have heard it in a restaurant. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. But, 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 but what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is yep. that maybe there's an idea of saying, you know, if you end up in a police station 
for something that really is stupid, mm. you know what I mean? Um, and it's like misbehaving or something, then maybe there could be an add-on somewhere along the line when you go to court. Um, i.e., you know, because you, you had to stay one night or yeah. something like that, you know, we're going to charge you an extra. But, of course, the thing is, if people don't pay, and a lot of people will go to court and turn around and say, well, I can't uh, afford that, I'll pay you a pound or two pounds a week. Now, how much is it going to cost to get that back? It did surprise... He did seem surprised, didn't he, that I was pressing the point well, he- about what would you do to get the money of those who can't afford to pay. He seemed shocked that that had even been considered as a possibility. What, what I felt was wrong was he came on with i've got this idea but then he had no sort of what i call backup sort of like yes well we've thought about people who can't pay and there obviously will be and because the thing is when you get taken into the police station maybe you go in at four o'clock in the afternoon and and then for one reason or other you're put in the cell and then they think right well we can't deal with this at the moment we'll keep you in overnight so if i was the the person i would turn around and say (coughs) Okay, I might be guilty, but why didn't you get me out? Why didn't my solicitor come on, etc.? So why didn't you send me out at eight o'clock? Mm. You've you kept me in for no good reason. So why should I pay this bill? When was the last time you were in prison, Sheila? Because uh, you sound the sort. <laughs> you do. If I'm honest, you sound the sort. You've lived, haven't you? <laughs> Put it like this, I do go to a police cell occasionally, but not because I've kept in. (laughs) Sheila, we shall leave it there. I'm intrigued, but we shall leave it there. Thank you. I've never spent the night in a police cell, and it's kind of one of those things... I don't want to do it now. I'm nearly 40. I'm a dad. But it's kind of one of those things I look back and I wish, oh, do you know what? I wish I had been caught on one of my rowdier nights out as an 18, 19-year-old and spent the night in the cell. It's just on the list of things. And I'm glad Sheila picked up on that. Yes, he did. David Lloyd did argue the point that you, you pay for f- food in, uh, in hospitals. And I didn't want to labour it too much because it was going slightly off uh, OT, off topic. Uh, but you don't pay for food in, in, in hospitals. The ones I've been to... Uh, I was I had some spent time in hospital recently. You don't pay for food. My, my wife and baby were in hospital over the jubilee. They didn't pay for food. I got free food as well. We f- we thinks that maybe um, David Lloyd is is staying in slightly posher hospitals than the rest of us are. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. What do you think? Is it a good idea charging people who spend the night in cells? Why not? Make a few quid, get some money back, and it would teach them a lesson, and it might even stop them doing it. If they knew they were going to get a bill of, I don't know, 50 quid, 100 quid, it might stop them, mightn't it? Couldn't it work in our favour? 08459 455 555 81333. Start your text 3CR or go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And that's your latest news in sport. More from me at nine. That's it. Yay! You've got it. And I'll tell you why you got it. Because after his, um, that, that Cockney Barra boy talking about some boring game, you had a little smile and I can hear you smile. <laughs> And you had a smile in your voice. I almost said that's Ian Lee's very favourite football manager. What's his name again? His name is Gary Smith. And who does he run with? Stevenage. Oh, dear. He's your bestest. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. My bestest. Morning! Last 30 minutes of the show before David Priever comes in and fills in for Jonathan Vernon Smith. Lots coming up uh, in the last 30 minutes of the show, including today is the most popular day for women to file for divorce. Yeah, I know. We'll be talking about that in a little bit uh, and more on allotments and anything else you want to give us a call on 08459 455 555 08459 455 555 We've been talking about these allotments 
uh, in Watford, uh, that it looks like there are, well, there are plans to close them down and build 600, uh, build a lot of new houses and, and expand the hospital and do all kinds of things. The locals are furious. The mayor thinks it's a cracking idea. Well, we can speak now to local councillor, Jagtar Singh Dinsa. Good morning, Jagtar. Good morning, Ian. What, what do you make of these plans to get rid of uh, the allotments? I think they're ridiculous plans. I've lived in West Watford for the last 40 years, and it's the most overdeveloped area in the country, and they want to put more houses on the allotment. And we're all in favour of a new hospital, and what I want to make clear is that there's no problem of us putting the hospital, but to build on allotment is a ridiculous idea. So you're, are you part of the Save the Allotment campaign? Yeah, it's in my ward, and I'm, I'm, I'm campaigning, campaigning to save the allotments. As I said, it's, it's a good way of, for people to exercise. Grandparents have been using that for years, and I went out there this morning before 6 o'clock where Mayor uh, Thornhill uh, didn't turn up. Well, I, I have to just say in her defence, that was our fault because we had uh, um, uh, technical problems and someone took it upon themselves to tell her to, to, tell her to stay at home. So that, that was our responsibility. OK, that's acceptable. But she failed to turn up to the cabinet meeting as well where I questioned why isn't she... No, no sorry, not the cabinet meeting. That was a call-in committee meeting. That's a uh, committee meeting where the opposition councillors can call in a decision and you question the cabinet members who made the decision. Her husband, who's Ian Sharp, came as a portfolio holder for planning and Keith Clark, who's portfolio holder. But I felt it was important for the mayor to be there. Jackson, there are people who would say, though, look, this, is, this, is, this will create jobs, it will create homes. Come on, it's just a few allotments, really. No, 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 it's a major... It's not just a few allotments, it's a major part of the area. It will create jobs. The hospitals can still be built. The chairperson for the hospital said that at the meeting. It's possible to build a hospital without using the allotments. 66 houses to go on the allotments is not going to create jobs. They uh, can be put elsewhere in the town. What happens next in the campaign, Councillor? Uh, uh, the next in the campaign, the people should write to the local MP and to the Secretary of State, because the Secretary of State can have the final say. And at the calling meeting, I asked the question, is there a plan B if the Secretary of State turns it down? There doesn't seem to be a plan B, and they're determined to build. And I heard the people ringing in, and the whole Dorothy sounded this morning. She was a bit bullying in her manner. Well, I, I, listen, I, I think Dorothy can, can, can uh, and uh, all of the campaigners can handle themselves. I, I don't like uh, the bullying word being thrown around. Uh, thank you very much, Councillor Jagtar Singh Dinsa. Um, well, it turns out that, that you're all big fans of allotments. Well, everyone loves the allotments. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, are you getting a divorce today? Or uh, just be careful, right? If you're a, a man and you're married, just be, just be mindful that you might get handed a letter today. It's the most popular day for women to file for divorce, and it's been nicknamed Divorce Day, as according to this sto- story in, uh, in the Daily Mail. Today's the most popular day for women to file for divorce. The first time Martin knew his marriage was in trouble was when his wife of 18 years and the mother of his two children dropped a bombshell. She bluntly told me she didn't love me anymore, that she felt no connection to me, and wondered if she ever had. In that instant, Martin felt his wife, Katie, 48, was taking away his entire future. She said she was being stifled, though she couldn't explain why. 
you've been if you've been given divorce papers today, pff, give us a call. Yeah, like you'd want to. Uh, well, Mary Bannam Hall is a family mediator and divorce solicitor based in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. What is it about today that makes it so popular for women to file for divorce? Well, I think um, disappointment over everything that's happened over the Christmas holiday, holding back and getting through Christmas, and the arrival of the credit card bills. Wow. Probably. All of those things. That's quite a lot. We do put uh, a lot of expectations on Christmas, don't we? And it can be we stressful do. at the best of times. And if there's kind of trouble in a relationship anyway, that, that can be magnified, can't it? Definitely, because people have huge expectations and we have this great sort of idealised dream of what family Christmas should be like. And of course, it often doesn't measure up. People get a bit drunk. Um, uh, they say and do things they shouldn't. A lot of the work, the hard physical work, um, probably falls to the, the women in the kitchen. And I think people are absolutely exhausted when it's all over and irritable. And um, they think, new year, new start, I'm not going to be in this situation this time next year. Why is it the women who are filing for the vo- divorce today? And men, th- th- there is an argument, and this is partly what this, this article in the Mail says, that men are actually, can be quite blind when it comes to realising how significant the problems are in the relationship. Yes. Um, I think it's always been the case that more divorce is initiated by women in terms of petitions issued. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are the ones that ended the marriage. It means they're the ones that actually issue the divorce petition. So take an example, for example, of infidelity. You think perhaps infidelity may be a common cause for marital breakdown. Well, if that's the case, the only person who can bring the petition or the most likely person to bring the petition will be the person who has not mm. committed adultery and that uh, obviously if, if a lot of the petitions and I think quite a high number are brought on infidelity it will be the women bringing the petitions so it's counterintuitive you think well women are ending the marriages yes but they're ending it legally but they've been driven to it possibly they may, they may be I think um, that's part of this quite complicated jigsaw puzzle why are divorce rates so high what what, what's going wrong i think the norms have changed um 30 years ago 40 years ago the norm was everybody knew marriage was difficult you had to work at it and work through the bad patches and actually i don't think people think that anymore i think they shoot first and ask questions later Mm. and i've sometimes said to clients what would you do differently you know when you get to know them quite well over a period and quite a lot of them have said i would work harder at my first marriage because actually your first marriage is the one that statistically is the one that's going to last if anything does Really? That's interesting. The the odds get um, worse, and you're more likely to, if you've had one divorce, you're more likely to have another divorce. Um, Is it too too easy to get a divorce? I I, I don't necessarily think that that people (laughs) should... It is. I don't necessarily think that people should stay together for the kids, but it, 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 it does seem quite easy to get a divorce these days, doesn't it? It is very easy, and I think the problem is that people have lost this idea that you have to work at marriage and that it is going to be difficult. That is the thing we have lost. 
And there are other pernicious things that are happening in the background that people don't seem terribly aware of to do with tax credits, which actually make it more difficult. Um, there's less of a financial incentive to stay together because we are constantly punishing people who are um, in, a, in a relationship with somebody and living together. Whether they're married or not doesn't make any difference. Is it part of the thing? Because I'm doing shows like this and, and, and other, phoning shows in other places. You hear lots of um, uh, kind of older people, like in their 60s and 70s, getting divorced. Is, is one of the reasons that we're living so long. We weren't meant to live this long, really, were we? So by the time oh, you get to 65, <laughs> you're, you're sick to death of the person you spent the last 40 years with. Yes, I think there are certain key stages where people reevaluate their lives. Um, one is when the children leave home. Mm. And they're suddenly left alone, probably in a great big, rambling, empty, silent house, and perhaps may find they haven't got a lot in common. There are quite a few, you're right, there's quite a few people getting divorced in retirement, and actually it's an awful shame, because they're going to have a seriously worse standard of living when they carve up whatever resources they have between two of them. Mm. Uh, it's fascinating. Mary, thank you very much indeed. That's Mary Bannam Hall, is a family mediator and divorce solicitor uh, based in Milton Keynes. Listen, if you're a bloke and you're married, just be careful. If you get any brown envelopes today, I would, op- I would be sitting down when you open it. Because uh, according to this story, today's the most popular day for women to file for divorce. It's also, I think, this week, I don't know if it's today specifically or this week, it's the most popular day for uh, online dating. It's at its busiest. It's at its busiest. Is that a coincidence, do you reckon? Here, here you are, darling. We're getting a divorce. Let me just log into. I don't know. I don't know any of the names of them. There was, I'm sure there are loads out there. Um, the online dating. It, that, how weird is that? Have you done that? I, it, it's never... Listen, when I was dating and courting, the internet had barely been invented. It was just still a dream in Tim Berners-Lee head. Uh, but it, it, we should do a show on that one day, because it is something that's quite fascinating. Uh, and, and the lengths that people go to. And you think it would, be, it would be easy, because it's literally ticking boxes. Hey, they like this kind of music, they don't like these kind of films, uh, they have an interest in cars from 1976. You're ticking every box. But where's the spark? Where's the spark? That's what I ask you. Where's the, that, that moment of looking across a crowded room and seeing someone going, Fwah! That's what I had with my missus. I looked across her room and went, Fwah! Uh, <laughs> then several years later, she looked around at me and went, mm, uh, oh, then Maybe. Probably the best I can do at short notice. Quick look at the front pages before we get the latest travel news, shall we? Let's uh, go to The Independent. Um, the dyslexic girl who grew up to win the Costa Prize. The amazing story of Sally Gardner. Um, and treat white working-class boys like ethnic minority, Willits tells universities, and face off the battle, the tech battle, of the sexes. What's, what's that? Is that worth having a little look at? Let's see what happens. Uh, the tech trauma divide. Are men or women more stressed by losing their phones and other gadget disasters? Well, two people go head-to-head to find out who, goes, who copes best. I would uh, be devastated if I lost my phone. Although... This year, it's not a New Year's resolution because I don't believe in them. I think they're a load of old guff. Right? And if you're making New Year's resolutions, it's pointless. Uh, but by coincidence, I've introduced some changes into my life that coincidentally clash with, with New Year. And one of them is I'm using my mobile phone less. I had loads of old email accounts for various things. Deleted nearly all of them. Um, and I use my phone. Fa- when I'm at home, I kind of leave the phone turned off and upstairs in the bedroom. And man, it's good. It feels good. 
And I'll check it every now and then. When I go to bed, before I would sit, I would sit in bed with my phone, checking and tweeting something, when I go to bed, one quick last look at the emails, make sure there's nothing happening with the show or, you know, anything, switch the phone off, put it in the other side of the room, get into bed and read for half an hour. Two chapters of me, Pete Townsend. It's wonderful. It's great. It's so freeing. Everyone should do it. Man, they should get rid of mobile phones. I couldn't do it on my own, but if we all agreed to do it one day, we'd feel so much better. Let's have a quick look at uh, the rest of the front pages of the newspaper, shall we? The Guardian market soar after US steps back from cliff. The world's financial... Mar- I don't know why I do this voice when I read the newspapers. My, it's my internal monologue. The world's financial markets surged yesterday in a show of relief after United States politicians averted the tax rises and immediate spending cuts of the fiscal cliff. And hand back the Falklands, Argentina tells Cameron. Thirty years after Britain and Argentina went to war over the Falklands, Argentina's populist president and all-round lovely lady, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, returns to the fray today with a blistering attack on British colonialism and a demand to hand back Las Malvinas. Why don't we? Why don't... I don't... They must cost a fortune. Why don't we? Just give them back. Come on. Oh, but the people that live... Really? Come on, there are more important things. Let's sell them. All right, let's sell them. Sell them to Argentina. What do you want, 50 million? 100 million pounds. Would that work? Uh, The Times, army told to open up its system of justice. Victims of bullying and abuse fear speaking out. All of these papers, by the way, have got Jim Davidson on the front. Uh, Tax chaos, says the Daily Telegraph, as child benefit cuts loom. And Bryony Gordon has written a piece, Is it just me, or is Miranda not funny? How can you not like Miranda? Oh, no. How can you not like her? Come on, she's good. Dennis is in Dunstable. Dennis, you like Miranda, don't you? I do. I think she's absolutely brilliant. She's great, isn't she? Yeah, she is. How can anyone not like her? It's like she's proper old-fashioned... When she stands up, she's funny. Exactly. She's, and she's a lovely person, Miranda. Well, she is, yes. Yes, she is. Now, what have you called in for, you old lush? The, um, the business with, uh, people going... So, in... hang on, Dennis. Please be quiet a second. Sorry? Shh, shh, shh. Are you listening to bagpipes? Unfortunately, yes. My what? wife is... She loves the strangled cat sound. What, why? Why? So she's got bagpipes playing at ten to nine oh, in no, the morning? She's got a recording of the uh, Edinburgh Festival. To oh. me, it's just a noise. It's very loud. I know, unfortunately. They're going to play it louder, so if they leave us, we'll be able to hear them in the distance oh, playing okay. the pipe. Well, well, Dennis, let's, let's struggle through this, uh, th- right. th- this bagpipery. And, uh, y- yes... The, 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 Turn the, it down a bit, when will you, please, for God's sake. Come on, Wynn, please. He's asking you on the telephone to turn it down. I didn't I didn't ask anything. <laughs> don't, Dennis, don't get me involved. I didn't ask her to turn it down. <laughs> don't blame me. <laughs> yeah, she's all right. She's laughing. Good. I, okay. I, it sounds like she's crying, but okay. No, yes. no, no. Go okay. on, what have you called in about? For goodness sake, we've only got ten yeah, minutes left. this business of charging people to stop overnight. This is um, uh, uh, David Lloyd, the PCC for uh, uh, Hertfordshire, yeah, wants to charge yeah. people to spend the night in the cells. Well, what's the criteria of picking up in the first place? And after all, when you are arrested and taken to uh, to the police station, they search you, obviously, before they put you in the cell, you know, in case you've got knives or anything else. So, obviously, they know whether they've got money or not. Yeah. To pay it, if they charge them there and then. If not, chuck them out. <laughs> that, would, that would be great, wouldn't it? So, I'm sorry, we brought you back to the police station, but you haven't got enough money on you, we're going to have to chuck you out. Okay. No, God, please, let me... Have you ever spent the night in the cells, Dennis? Uh 
Um, not a night. I did years and years ago when I was very small. I was taken to somewhere in Wales, and there was an old prisoner, a Victorian prisoner. They were showing people around, and they said, what? "What would it like to?" They pushed me in there and locked the door. That doesn't uh, that not, doesn't count. Only for, only for a couple of minutes. That doesn't leave. count, Dennis. You spend you spent a couple of minutes in an old Victorian prison. Yes, that's right. Mm, okay, well, okay. And allotments. Are you a fan of allotments? I'm not. I'm a, a total non-gardener, but I can see other people. My wife is a super gardener, so I'm a total non-gardener. I believe if you can't eat it, don't grow it. And so, um, yes, I think that they should be looked after. And if they want some land in Watford to put houses on, why don't they use Watford football ground? No, well, there you go, you say. area. Dennis, are you, have you ever uh, done internet dating? No, I haven't. I'm not uh, at 87. Well, you, listen, the, you, the one you've got there sounds like a right hand for you. could do with something... Anyway. Oh, no, after 63 years of marriage, there's nothing I can do with her. Well, be careful. <laughs> t- t- today, she might hand you a divorce notice. Well, it's a bit late now. I, I, I divorce her because of that blooming bagpipe music. I, I agree with you totally. It's, and she's another Andre Rue friend as well. I get that n- 24 hours a day music. Oh, blimey. Oh, uh, Dennis, lovely to talk to you. Go back to your bagpipes. Bye-bye. Ta-ta, there we go. Oh, you imagine listening to that all the time. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Talking very loosely about internet dating, and Catherine Boyle has just messaged down to me, uniform dating. I've written back going, what? She says, it's one of the more niche sites. The ad is for people who work in uniform or just fancy those who do. Right, two things. Wow, that's weird. And second thing, how do you know about that, Catherine Boyle? How, how do you know that there is a dating website for people who work in uniform or just fancy those who do? Huh? What is it? Although we will, of course, be looking at uniform dating a little bit later on, won't we? Of course we will. Now, uh, would you be prepared to be means-tested for currently universal benefits if your care bill in the future potentially went down? Paul Burstow MP has urged the government to defuse the elderly, cl- uh, elderly care time bomb by concentrating the winter fuel payment on the poorest pensioners and using the money saved to pay for a cap on care costs. In a report being published by the Think Tank Centre Forum, it's revealed that under the current care system, elderly people who own averagely priced homes face losing 65% of their assets to pay for care. Well, let's get more from our reporter now, Simon Thompson. Uh, what is exactly is Mr Burstow arguing, Simon? Ian, Paul Burstow, who was a former chemist himself until he was uh, sacked from the government uh, in the last reshuffle, he's come up with this idea for a think tank centre forum, looking at the cost of social care in old age and finding a way to try and pay for that. Uh, the idea of a cap that no one would pay more than a certain figure according to for their social care needs in old age, regardless of, of how much that care costs. And what he's decided is that the best way to do it is to uh, actually scrap winter fuel allowance as a universal benefit for all pensions. At the moment, anyone over 60 is entitled to it, even if they live abroad. It's worth about 100 to £300 pounds a year, depending on how severe the winter is, and it's uh, given to all pensioners, uh, even if necessarily they don't actually need it. Uh, many, of course, say they do. Mr Burstow says that under his scheme, about three-quarters of those who currently get it would lose out, and he's saying that, coupled with other bit of uh, some saving ideas he's come up with, uh, would save about one and a half to £1.7 billion pounds a year, and it would pay for the cash that's been suggested by the Dilnot Commission that looked into the cost of social care uh, that was reported for the government a couple of years ago. What did the Dilnot report suggest about care in our old age? Well, Dilnot was looking at uh, a number of things, uh, looking at the costs of uh, social care, uh, looking at the time bomb, the fact that we have an ageing population, that we've got to pay for social care in some way, that many of us may decide, uh, may not decide, but may well uh, get uh, things like dementia in our old age that can increase significantly because we're living longer. 
And uh, certainly he says that um, at the moment uh, the scheme is unfair, by, perceived to be unfair by many, because what happens is that if you have assets or savings of £23,000 a year or more, uh, then you have to pay towards that cost of social care. Many have no alternative but to pay up front, and that means selling their home to do so, which makes them uh, very angry that they've worked all their lives, paid off their mortgage, and then have to sell their home to pay for their social care. So deal not suggested a, a compromise. He said, look, people will have to pay, yes, uh, towards the cost of their social care, but no one regardless of how much care they need, will pay more than £35,000 full stop in their lifetime. And there would be loans against their, their house, so they could pay it off without selling the house at that, at that time. Now, what uh, the uh, uh, the government then said was, thank you very much, a great report, but we can do nothing about this. We have no money. Uh, it's, a, it's a time of austerity. Now, what uh, certainly... Paul Burstow suggesting as a way forwards, he's saying, look, I can find this, the money here, about £1.7 billion pounds, uh, through scrapping winter fuel allowance as a universal benefit. Now, scrapping winter fuel allowance for, for most pensioners would be very controversial, wouldn't it? It would indeed. Let's not forget, of course, that this benefit was introduced in the 1990s when there were many pictures on the news, or on radio stories, we heard about the pensioners sitting in their own home just with one bar on the fire, uh, unable to heat the, uh, the rest of the room, let alone uh, the, uh, any other room in the house because they're worried about the costs of their fuel bill. Those worries haven't gone away, of course. The fuel bills are on the rise year upon year. Fuel companies have increased the cost significantly again this winter, and the winter fuel allowance has gone up as a result. So it's now between anything between 100 and 300 pounds a year, depending on how severe the winter is. Others, though, suggest no. In this day and age, we can do without universal benefits. Of course, there's been the same argument argument about family allowance, child benefit, uh, and certainly uh, they are they are now suggesting some on the Conservative benches that uh, uh, we should do away with uh, the winter fuel payment as a uh, as a universal uh, allowance. Last week, in fact, the Conservative minister Nick heard suggested that well-off pensioners should consider giving their winter fuel payments to charity if they don't feel they need it. David Cameron so far has said that he's committed to retaining it as a universal benefit, although he's under pressure, it seems, from some in his own party. Age UK, which of course is seen as the voice of, of many pensioners, they have expressed real concern about taking away the uh, the universal benefits here. They say if you you could be really careful about tackling any or or, 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 or certainly targeting any uh, benefit that's paid to pensioners as a potential source of income, because many feel that otherwise they would not claim the benefit they're entitled to. Simon Thompson, our reporter there. Thank you very much. Don't forget, after nine o'clock this morning, David Prever, <coughs> excuse me, is in for uh, Jonathan Vernon Smith, and he's asking should the winter fuel allowance be means tested? What the hell? It's, you can start calling him now. Why don't you? I can see his team starting to gather. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can email him as well. JVS Show at bbc.co.uk. Now you kind of hear the, the, the sort of stories that we've been doing on this show. If there's anything out there that you've seen or is happening to you uh, that you think we should be talking about, get in touch. That's how we got the allotment story. Is someone got in touch with me? Uh, so send us an email. <clears throat> 3cr at bbc.co.uk and just put in the subject heading breakfast Ian Lee uh, and we'll have a look at it and if we think it's worthy of, of sending out one of our reporters or getting you on the show uh, then we certainly will so 3cr at bbc.co.uk put in the subject heading breakfast Ian Lee uh, and let us know what you think we should be talking about Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio Sophie, have you ever heard of this website Uniform Dating? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand it Oh, you weirdo! She does understand it, is what she means! I know enough about girls to know she means she does understand it. That's it, that's your lot. Back tomorrow at six o'clock. Stick around, David Pree was up next. Until tomorrow, ta ta. Getting better.
Beds, Hearts and Bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian and the team. Uniform dating. Yeah, I'll be checking that out later.